My medicine sister, Blue, is one of the most powerful, badass medicine women I have ever known in my entire life. So when she told me she was going to do a darkness retreat, very much like I had done, I said, Blue, you're just going to breeze right through it. You're going to be swimming in the darkness, doing backstrokes, spouting little bits of darkness out in the air like you're just relaxing. That was foolish. The darkness is an intense, challenging trying experience even for someone who's journeyed across the veil as many times as blue and so here on this podcast she shares her story followed by my story of a recent trip to see el dragon de la selva my ayahuasca shaman which had powerful journeys with all kinds of insights and downloads and also some very interesting interactions that potentially have cosmic significance. So I can't wait to share this dual storytelling experience with Blue and myself. Enjoy the show. Before we get started with the ads, I wanna talk to you guys one more time about Arcadia, the festival that we're throwing in Alpine, Wyoming, July 14th through 17th. Blue is going to be a speaker there. Matias Stefano, Charles Eisenstein, Zach Bush are all gonna have their presence there along with some of the top musicians. But really the purpose of this is to anchor a more beautiful world. To me, this is that moment from Matrix 3 where everybody celebrates in Zion as the machine insect beings are coming in and burrowing their way down and they make a stand and they make a stand not in conflict there, but in celebration of what it means to be alive, what it means to be sovereign, what it means to love and to come together in a singular voice of rapture, celebrating the individuality, all creating that symphony. This is what we're doing in Arcadia, and we're going to have an amazing time and really anchor something that's important, and that's that we stand for a more beautiful world, a world of choice, a world of love, a world of freedom, and I hope to see you there. Those who are there with us in Arcadia, it's going to be something you'll never forget. I really honestly believe that. So if you're curious to check it out, go to fitforservice.com slash Arcadia with a K. Once again, fitforservice.com slash Arcadia with a K. And once again, we have a membership model for Fit for Service, so you'll be applying for tickets. But once you get accepted and attend the event, you're a member for life and you'll get all kinds of opportunities to talk to me on a monthly basis, access to the app, and you'll see all of that information on the website, which is actually currently under evolution. So if you go there and it's not all quite there yet, just give it a moment and you'll see all of that information laid out crystal clear. Before we get started, a quick word from our sponsors. First up, we have Onnit, and this is semi-annual sale time. If you're listening to this podcast fresh out of the gate, semi-annual sale is the second biggest sale that we have other than our legendary Black Friday Cyber Monday sale. Here's what we got. We have 25% off all supplements, 10% off all fitness equipment, 50% off all Onnit 6 programs, doorbusters at 60% off, bunch of free gifts, and the sale ends on Sunday, May 29th. So obviously this is the best chance to explore the full line of Onnit products. You know, I was really thinking recently about the different use cases that I have for the four types of alpha brain. There's the OG alpha brain in the capsules. And I typically will use those when 
in about 30 to 45 minutes, I need to be really kind of razor sharp. I'll typically use that. And then there's the Alpha Brain Instant Packets, which I always travel with because they're easier to travel with. You can put them in your pocket. You can put them in your bag. And then I'll actually drink those during the duration of like a longer day. I'll put it in a water. And so I use this to kind of trickle in the Alpha Brain for a longer period of time. Then there's the Ready to Drink Alpha Brain that just crack the top and drink that. It has a little bit of caffeine in it. So that's for that immediate pick me up and like the fastest hitting alpha brain. Like I totally forgot to take alpha brain. The podcast is about to start. My fucking zoom is going to turn on in two minutes and I run down and I grab one of those and I drink it. That's that use case. And then of course there's alpha brain black label. And for me, alpha brain black label is the Cadillac because not only does it improve my cognition and improves my mood. So this is a great chance to explore all of these different forms of alpha brain or whatever you want there's so many things that you know now i'm a bit separated from on it in the way that it used to be i'm just so grateful that we created all of these different products and of course that everybody still involved in on it myself included are just holding it down for the utmost quality and user experience for everybody and that is never going to change. And if for some reason, God forbid it did, you'll be the first to hear it from me. But it's really just a beautiful thing when I can still go to my pantry every day and go, wow, I'm really fucking glad that we built this thing because I take on it stuff every single fucking day. And that's the truth. So check it out, go to onnit.com slash Aubrey and you can take advantage of the semi-annual sale or just go to onnit.com slash Aubrey. You get 10% off all the time, no matter what. Next up, we have NutriSense. Now, one of the most important levers to pay attention to is your metabolic health. And your metabolic health has a lot to do with your blood glucose. When you're on this constant roller coaster of taking in a bunch of sugar and then dumping a bunch of insulin to actually distribute the sugar, you can run into a lot of problems, a lot of problems that concern weight management, but just problems that concern fatigue and overall performance. But the thing is, you don't always know what type of foods or what your dietary practices are that are affecting your blood glucose levels. So a continuous glucose monitor is an amazing solution. And the people at NutriSense really created the optimal solution for helping you monitor this in a continuous way. So you really know, all right, I ate this at this time, and now this correlated to this blood glucose level, and this is what it was doing on the inside. It's an ability to actually peer into our body in a way that we've never been able to do before. And putting one of these things on is painless. I've seen so many of my buddies with them on from Ben Greenfield and Kyle Kingsbury. So many people who really take health and performance and optimization incredibly seriously use a continuous glucose monitor, and there's none out there that I've seen better than the ones provided by NutriSense. So if you go to NutriSense.io slash Aubrey, you'll get $30 off any subscription to a continuous glucose monitor program. So once again, go to NutriSense, N-U-T-R-I-S-E-N-S-E, .io slash Aubrey for $30 off a subscription to a CGM program. And now an uninterrupted podcast with Blue. My sister Blue, here we are. Back at it again. Back at it again with similar circumstances, being that we just got back from El Dragon once again. Return of the Dragon, another ride. 
and it was fucking epic crazy wild powerful deep and it was coming on the back of another journey that we both have an affinity and deep respect for the darkness the darkness you stacked them you stacked the big ones right next to each other <laughs> right next to each other four days in the darkness mm-hmm. couple days off off to ayahuasca although for you ayahuasca is a little different than most people it's much more pleasant ride than i think a lot of the people who were there in the maloka with us and sitting in this room adding their collective energy but the darkness was a different thing the darkness is a challenge i had so much respect rippling through my body when i was in the darkness for you and for those that have been in the darkness before you don't know what you don't know until you know mm-hmm. <laughs> and just reflecting on you being in there for six days and being my brother that has led the way um pulled me through some of the most challenging moments of my life yeah so for those people who don't know the darkness is not just kind of dark it's not like when the lights are off in your room which actually isn't dark at all <laughs> compared to the darkness the darkness is pitch black absolute black absolute silence and isolation and it's just you in the black void of your room which is actually can be a little bit hazardous and that that's a that's a similarity to both of our stories we both got a few wounds in the darkness but you really feel like you're in the void and people compare it to like oh man it's like solitary confinement like no 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 there you have a little bit of light that shows you're in fucking jail in the darkness you're in the boundless void that occasionally you bump up into hard things or soft things but it's a different thing it's a wildly different thing it's like you're in this alternate universe where it's just you and your mind and your body mm-hmm. it's the the realm of the project, projection of the mind so whatever is going on internally is the space in which you are in and it's also simultaneously nothing like absolutely nothing for what feels like months one day is it feels like equivalent to a week yeah and one hour feels like equivalent to a day in that space yeah how did they so you were in a different setup than me how did they deliver the food because for me they delivered it in a blacked out hallway outside of my room Mm. and then they rung a little doorbell and then they had double doors Mm. so that you know there was going to be no light accidents because i wouldn't go in the hallway until they rang the bell i'd give them a few minutes to clear the hallway and then i would go get my food how did that work for you because you were actually you descended down a little ladder right or stairs yeah so it's like a tiny little hobbit homes in the middle of the forest in oregon and they're specifically built for these darkness retreats and super cute little door with um boulders and once you go through the door you go down these steps and there's a room before the room and that room is where the fire is where they stoke the fire and then there's a box on the wall the box is double-sided. You open the box from the outside, you place the food in, you can open, and then they close it, and then you open the box from the inside once the other side is closed to then get the food so it inhi- yeah. inhibits the light leaks. So you're a proper English English lass. Would they call it a dumb waiter? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't know if that's English, actually. Maybe a dumb waiter is a is an american thing but it feels um, feels posh I'm pretty sure it's english but i'm not 100 <laughs> percent. please don't quote me on that i've been in america for eight years i'm yeah. pretty much a, like a yeah american but hotels used to have this and like the valet used to be able to deliver things and some some hotels still do 
-hmm. like a little like chute. Right. Where you can, it like, is. It's like a up. little shoot. It's like the shoot that led me to my highest excitement when I was in the darkness. <laughs> when sure. I heard that shoot for open, sure. I was like, yeah, we made for, another day. For about 15 minutes, you have something to do. Yeah. <laughs> Strawberry. <laughs> Eating. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so uh, the, the time when that food would come um, once a day, usually in the evening, between you only got one meal one meal a day yeah oh i got three. Oh, you did i got three uh, i mean it was all like raw vegan it was like mm -hmm. i had to get a lot of saliva going <laughs> to make sure make sure that i could eat it all but nonetheless there was three meals a day uh, yeah and then i don't know i don't know if you remember this part but one day because i could write them little notes and leave it on the thing in the dark obviously so right. obviously I, I have no idea what my penmanship looked like and based on my journal it was probably horrific but i was like <laughs> Then I was like, I told them that I wanted to get a smoothie in the morning. And so, and they didn't really have like protein or anything, but they had like avocado and I was like, and they had coconut oil. And so I was like, extra coconut oil, please. On one of my notes, <laughs> they gave me a shake that must've just had a whopper of coconut oil. And I was like, this is pretty coconut oily. <laughs> and I drank it and I just had horrendous diarrhea for that <laughs> entire day. Just like, on like impossible amount of shitting and the problem with an impossible amount of shitting is you never really know when you're clean because you can't look at the toilet paper right like you just have to guess just keep so i just kept showering <laughs> i must have taken six showers poop and shower poop and shower poop and shower i didn't have a shower you didn't have a shower no had a bath which was also a portal wow i wouldn't that. want to wipe off my poop in the bath <laughs> There's no part poop of it. Poop soup. <laughs> <Yeah>. Poop stew. <laughs> in the dark, in the poop soup. <laughs> okay, so we had a little different environs. Yeah. I mean, if you're in a hobbit hole, they should have given you four meals. Breakfast, lunch, supper, and dinner. Supper. That's what all hobbits do. But. No, just one meal a day. However, I started to understand how to ration it. So I would eat just to the point where I was like, enough to be not hungry and then i would place um on the table my food into different spaces um so there would be it would be one meal but it would be like a good amount mm. and then i would eat just enough and then place um them so that i could ration it throughout the day so whenever mm. i started to get hungry i'd have a few nuts or I'd eat, have a half an apple or something like that um and then that would allow me to be able to enjoy the food throughout the day even if it was just one meal yeah mm -hmm. and if for people hearing sounds our cats love <laughs> podcasts it's like their time to shine yeah. everybody's quiet and they know that they will get some fucking air time they get it yeah it's good yeah it's a good omen uh-huh sure they get they get really they get really lively during Perfect. podcasts That's dope. normally they sleep all day but for podcasts <laughs> podcast. never never slept through a podcast not one <laughs> All right, so you had your little you had your little plan, and it's very important to stay organized in there because, mm -hmm. like, you can lose something uh -huh. really clearly. Yes. Oh, I remember um, an apple like dropped off my table. Never saw it again. <laughs> Even when the light came on at the end, I was like, "Where did that apple go?" It was like a mystery for like an hour. I was like, "Where's the apple?" I got it everywhere. And when we're talking about the darkness, you know, and we even say pitch black. I didn't realize my whole life I've never actually been in the pitch black. Right, most people haven't. There's like usually a little little leak or like like leak or like a, a charger plugged into the wall that's glowing blue or something like that. But to, when I blew out that candle, because what what happened was um, 
he we closed the door together my heart was racing he's like i'm gonna close the door i'll see you in four days i'm like okay bye (laughs) closed it in slow-mo i'm like "Ah." (laughs) and then um sitting with the the candle and and i'm looking at it and i'm like okay this is the last light i'm gonna see for what he said is gonna feel like eternity so i'm like looking at this candle and then I blew it out. I said, a, I said a prayer. I called it. I really treated it like a ceremony because sure. it is really a ceremony. And and called in my ancestors, called in my guys, called in my angels, called in every every being that I felt could be an ally with me in that space. Blew out the candle, and I watched the ember just kind of just disappear. And it was like, and then and then that was like when I was actually in the darkness. And I was like, and I'm in the middle of the forest in the middle of nowhere. Like mm. there's, if I was to scream at the top of my lungs, no one would hear me. Mm. And no one would come to me for 12 hours because he doesn't come for the next 12 hours to drop off the next meal and to stoke the fire. So right. I was alone. And the fire, of course, must have been behind some kind of wall, wall. that was just giving yeah. the heat from yeah. the fire, but not the light of yeah, the fire. Exactly, and it was, like a, it was like a metal panel with a kind of like a gate over it so that you don't burn yourself on it. Got it. Because I was bumping and banging for the first of course. 12 hours. Like, oh, of course. Bathroom's over here. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> That's what people, people think that you're going to immediately have like this blind sense of like spatial awareness. Like you turn into daredevil immediately and you can just like click and like find the room. No, <laughs> I was lost constantly. I'd be like, let me go to the bed. And I'd be like, where the fuck am I? Not anywhere near the bed. <laughs> it discombobulated. It really is. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Um, and all right, let me let me ask you this question because mm-hmm. we've talked about a lot of the, like, the powerful parts. But what did you do when you were trying to figure out how to put toothpaste on your toothbrush? <laughs> I got really self-reliant on certain things that I've never had to depend on uh-huh. because, I've, um, because I've always seen it. I would... Um, uh, hold my toothbrush. N- let know where the br- bristles are. Then so you hold, hold it, in you that held space. it like really close to the head. Huh? Yeah. And then I would, and then I would um, put it on my uh, my lip when the the toothpaste was right towards the end of the uh-huh. the tube. And I knew it was right there, and I knew where the bristles were because I would put my thumb on it. And then I would. <laughs> oh. Like, yeah. Solid. All right. That's a good go. move. Yeah. I just ended up squirting it in my mouth. <laughs> And then just, that, bru- yeah, that and makes then just sense. brushing, and then just brushing around. You do what you gotta do. You got because when instincts. I was holding, I was holding the toothbrush by the end, and I was trying to like squeeze it onto the bristles, and I just had no idea. I mean, one time I missed completely for sure, and I was like, "Oh, fucking great! Now I have toothpaste that I <laughs> don't know where somewhere." Yeah, <laughs> and then, and then another time I got it on the I got it on the bristles, but I squeezed so much. It was like <laughs> a mount. It was like it was like a soft serve. <laughs> Where I was like spiraling, spiraling yeah, spiraling upward in this giant deviled egg <laughs> on top of my on top of my bristles. Some nice clean teeth. You got, right? <laughs> yeah, really minty fresh Mint. for you yourself and you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there's there's lots of things where you're really in an alternate universe, and all of these aspects of an alternate universe are it's almost psychedelic just in that state because you're in a different environment with different senses that are available because one of your key senses is gone yeah and and we really realize like how much we rely on sight and also with me i'm hard of hearing so my hearing and my sight Mm -hmm. like 
and yes, of course, there's nothing to like necessarily hear. And simultaneously, I didn't realize how much energy I'm sending on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, on a minute basis, trying to process what is going on in my environment based off of my hearing. Yeah. What is she saying? What is he saying? What just happened in this situation? And there's so much energy that I'm spending to try and pick up on the words to be in the situation. And when I no longer have to hear and I know no one's going to walk in the room and I haven't got my eyesight, there is so much more energy available to go inwards. Yeah. So bring us through. What was the what was the first day like? What was the start of this journey? And bring us through the arc. The first moment when I blew out the candle, like I said, I my heart was pounding. I don't know what I don't know, and I've never been in this situation before. And it's almost like swimming in the ocean and not knowing what's below you. It, 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 the mind can create, or oh, what is it going to be like, or fear of projection. Um, and at the beginning, I actually felt a lot of joy and excitement that I was in the darkness. I'm like, yeah, I'm finally alone. <laughs> I was like, mm, like dancing. And like uh-huh. I had my meal and the fire had just been stoked. And so that was when it was like the reset. And then the next 12 hours would be the next time he comes with the meal and the fire stoking yeah. to keep it warm. And so I'm sitting there eating my meal and I'm realizing that in the darkness, it's the realm of projection of the mind. So if my mind wants to say, okay, let's go to the scenario where I am sitting in the future with my future children which is a a dream of mine to have children one day. And um, so I went into where I was, this is straight like, I don't know, 10 minutes after blowing out the candle, I'm sitting at the table in the pitch black eating my dinner and I'm with my children asking them how their day was. And it was like playing into the infinite scenarios that's available in the darkness because it can just be the projection of the mind of whatever I want to make it to be. And I'm recognizing that the power of manifestation is based off of in the present moment, reshaping the future in the present moment. Mm. So I was dancing with my kids at this table and I was eating my dinner and I was really excited about this adventure that I was about to go on, recognizing that I've accessed and tapped into so many different parts of my mind that I can play with finally without a lot of energy leaking towards what's going on in the situation. So I was like really excited at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And simultaneously, I went in with a lot of tools. It was like, okay, I got breath work. I got my mantras. I got my yoga. I have pleasure practice. I can do take a bath. I can sing. I can sing Icaros. Like I was still in the doing mind of sure. like, I'm gonna crush this darkest experience <laughs> yeah. and I'm gonna bring it with all of the tools that I have got. And I'm gonna sit in manifestation and then I was gonna do Reiki on every part of my body and spend 15 minutes on each part of my body pouring that life force energy uh-huh. back into myself. And funny thing is, is um because of how long the darkness is, the doing mind only lasts so long. Yeah. You run out of things to do and then it's all of a sudden like, right now what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So the first night I had a bath and I remember doing a meditation before I went into the darkness and I was shown that in the bath I was going to receive a transmission from some higher sense of myself um, and just to be in the listening. So I got in the bath and I had all this expectation that some profound transmission was going to come through and I sit there with my mudra and I'm like, okay, I'm ready for my transmission. I'm in the earth, underground, in a body of water, in the dark, ready to go. And all I got was, your mind is too busy, come back tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, that wasn't epic. (laughs) Um, And so uh, it was, um, the first night was really just a lot of doing, easy, and then I went to bed and I slept for what felt like 15 hours. Yeah. And usually... 
I can know how long I've slept, A, because I have an, a ring that tells mm. me all of sleep levels and how much time I slept. B, I can look outside and see how light it is. C, I look at my cell phone and I'll tell the time. I have no external reference point of what time it is. And so what was being required of me was to trust my own body's knowledge and wisdom how long has passed. Mm -hmm. So I could tell by how my mouth felt in the morning, how dry it was, how did it taste, or how long it's been closed for. Yeah. Um, did I need to go to the bathroom? And how warm was the wall that was the fire that was behind it? Because right. usually it stays warm for around 12 hours. Yeah. So there's different gauges that would allow me to rely on my own intelligence of the listening of my body to actually know what time it was, which I've never in my life had to rely on. Yeah which was super primal, extremely empowering, and really uh, fascinating to be able mm -hmm. to tune into to, um, to a knowing beyond something external. Mm -hmm. And so I would gauge it. But the, as soon as I woke up in the morning, that was when the weight of the fact that I was in the darkness hit me. Mm -hmm. Because you go from dreaming into the void again. Mm -hmm. Usually you go from dreaming into life. And it was like, I woke up and I felt this heaviness on my chest of like, oh, I'm really in this bitch. <laughs> like, mm. I'm really in it now. And um, that was when it started to get confronting the day two after the first night. Yeah. That was when I was like, okay, I'm, I can do my month. I, I really noticed, the, like significantly noticed the difference of who I'd be before my practice and who I was after my practice. Before my practice, I was questioning. I was in doubt. I wasn't sure. I felt a heaviness. I felt an anxiety in my chest. I felt a questioning of why did I choose to do this? And then after I did my mantras, I do like um, 108 mantras for four different mantras. So, and then I would probably repeat those. So I would do around a thousand mantras a day. Um, and I would sing Ikaros and, and I would do my yoga and breath work. Breath work was amazing in there. And that would bring me back into my center and it would help me soften and surrender a lot more. Mm -hmm. um, but there was very, very, very confronting moments. Um, that eventually led to a full death. Like I knew that the darkness was gonna be a death. I went in there with a very, very clear intention that I had just separated from my partnership. My grandfather and my grandmother had passed away within weeks of each other. I'd moved out of my house and into a new home. It felt like everything I had got COVID, like everything just hit all within a very short period of time. And I knew that I was gonna go into the darkness and die in there and die this old version of myself. And I hit a death that like really fucked me up. Yeah. In the best way. Tell us about it. <laughs> so um, after night two, I knew that I was going to get my moon, my my period while I was in there, um, which is also a death in itself of a mm. bleed of what was or could have potentially have been life. And it was like, a, it's a release of the body of all that's not serving. And so bearing that's, that that's in mind. Something that's, like, that's something that let's just take a moment and double click because for us in our circle, like we get that. Like the moon is a time to shed mm -hmm. everything that you've accumulated mm -hmm. into your energy body, which through your womb space is a, is a major place, particularly for the feminine where hold a lot of energy and the moon is, is a shedding of that energy. Mm -hmm. But that's something that we can't take for granted is universal knowledge because it's certainly not taught. It's like, oh, you're having this inconvenient thing where blood is coming out of you here. Stuff this toxic thing up there and block it because yeah. it's it's a nuisance, mm -hmm. right? There's no reverence for these natural processes. Mm -hmm. 
and so like it's important like that that fact alone is like just be mindful that there's things happening on an energetic level that are linked to something that's happening in the physical biological but we've severed those links in so many different ways every way around we've created mind spirit body all made them separate but they're not Mm -hmm. they all have a different process so Mm -hmm. yeah like that that idea of the moon shedding what's been accumulated that month is a pretty important idea it's extremely important and i had a such a big um process around all the years of my life that i have been conditioned to dishonor that part of my life and to be raised in um, an environment that always laughed at it mocked it shamed it um and in england it was even called oh she's on the blob like ugh, what a she's on the blob yeah it's like oh charlotte's on the blob is that because of a tampon is that Um, the blob I guess so. I don't know. I don't really understand the origin of being, but even just the the the, the name or the word of that, of like Shadonna Blob, ew. <laughs> like yeah, it's not yeah, an yeah. honoring of um this this. It's a very 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 sacred process. And and during my journey, I had a realization of the sacredness of of a woman on her moon cycle, and um, I had to mourn all the times that I did place a bleached filled tampon up there and then threw it away and like ugh, and disregarded that part of my death and rebirth process that happens every single month as a woman mm-hmm. um and so yeah i went i've been deep into a reverence and a respect and an understanding of what it truly means to be a woman and what it truly means to have a moon cycle and the honoring of it and also recognizing that in some traditions you know women aren't allowed to sit in ceremony when they're bleeding because it's distracting for the shaman because a woman is in her full power Mm. like it's it it's um a very 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 powerful honoring time to go inwards and to be in the sacred rest of the honoring of that placement of our cycle and so i knew that with the context that i was going through a death in this in of everything that's calibrating in my life going into the darkness which is the void and bleeding at the same time i knew that there was going to be something significant that was going to be here for me and um in the darkness the dream state is more real than the actual waking state because Mm -hmm. there's nothing in the waking state but in the dream state there's visions and there's conversations and there's people and the lights are on and you're doing these different things and so my dreams as just a default are always really really vivid and really strong and sometimes it's hard for me to determine whether it's actually real or it's a dream and that night i fell asleep And I went into a very, very, very vivid dream, which I told you about, um, where I was actually with you and we went to this house and you said, okay, we're on our way to somewhere. And you said, we're gonna stay at this house on our way to this place and with these people. And we walked into the house and everything about the house was off. Like there was plastic covered all over the furniture and there was three men there and they were really creepy and they had this dog that had these like bioluminescent eyes and I remember asking can I pet your dog and they were like no he's not friendly and I was like "Mm." and I remember sitting in um in the guest room ready to fall asleep and um somebody was with me and said 
um, I don't I don't have good vibes about this place. We need to get out of here. And I remember saying, well, I trust Aubrey. I, I feel like it'll be fine. So in my dream, which felt extremely real, I didn't know that I was dreaming. I fell asleep and I woke up and I was being sexually assaulted in my dream. And um, it was terrifying. And I um, had so much physical pain in my stomach and I was panicking, like, <gasps> like really freaking out. And um, I just, disclaimer, it's gonna get a little dark for a moment. Um, I, uh, to, in self-defense, ended up finding a sharp object. And just just to just to be clear, before we get to this part, when you're saying sexual assault, it was rape, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. It was rape. Yeah. And it was correlated. So you have a dream about being raped, and you wake, and your womb is in immense pain. Immense pain. So that conflation of a dream state vision, which would be an extraordinarily painful thing, both energetically and physically, and having energetic physical pain like in the absolute darkness where you can't necessarily shake from reality i just want people to like sit in this reality where you do wake up and you are awake but you still, still feel pain. you still feel what had happened yeah obviously a different cause of course but like you feel you're feeling mm -hmm. something that would be correlated to that actual event happening mm -hmm. yes it it's extremely confusing what's real and what's not. Yeah. When the pain carries through once the nightmare is over. Yeah. So just to finish off what had happened, I ended up stabbing the man that was raping me in the dream. And then there was blood everywhere in the dream and I was panicking and I was trying to collect the blood. Um, what did you stab him with? I don't remember. It was just a sharp thing that was to my right. Uh -huh. Um and I just kind of grabbed it in a panic. And, um, and I remember thinking, oh my gosh, like this is happening. And, I, I, and then I was like, wait, the lights are on. I must be dreaming because I know that I'm in the darkness. So I need to get out of this dream. And so I was doing everything I could to get out of the dream. I'm like punching myself. And, and, and it felt like I was stuck in it, like a sleep paralysis, stuck inside this nightmare in like an inception kind of moment. Eventually I ended up waking up um, and I instantly just realized and remembered I'm back in the darkness. Now in the past, when I've had nightmares, I've turned to my lover and I've been like, <gasps> and be held in the darkness. Mm. Or I turn my phone on and I check the time and I kind of reconnect or I turn the light on or I find some sure. sort of creature comfort. The darkness has no creature comfort. So, and I'm in excruciating pain in my womb. So I stand up as if it's actually happened to me. My heart is pounding. I don't really, I'm discombobulated. I'm, I'm not really sure where I'm going. I stand up and then I'm bleeding and there's like blood dripping out of me. And I remember just like almost like hyperventilating with panic. Like the, it really broke me on all levels of my psyche, mentally, physically, spiritually, sexually, multidimensionally. And like, I just felt broken. And I went to the bathroom and I couldn't really see, but I was feeling, and, and I was like, okay, well, the one creature comfort I do have is the bath and to run the bath water because when I'm in hot water, I can fully relax. I'm a water sign. It really, it, it, water for me is like um, a rebirthing pl place. So I went to like turn the, the water on. And of course there's no hot water. The water was not working. Like, the hot water wasn't running. So the one thing that I did have as an external comfort was not available. And so I just remember crawling into a ball on the floor and weeping 
crying and mm. in so much pain and feeling there was this voice that came in. It was like, it's a self-guided experience. The door isn't locked. I could just leave. Mm. I don't have to suffer like this. Just walk out of there. What are you doing? Mm. Like, look at you. And you paid to do this. Like you <laughs> literally paid physical money to sit in this room and go through this. Like get out of here, just walk out. <laughs> But all of my training has been, do not make a decision based off of a place of reaction. Or fear. Or fear. Yeah. And I knew that I was in reaction and fear. Mm. And so I, I felt like I would regret that decision. And it's not about pushing through and avoiding my own intuition. It's about coming to a place of center and then making a decision. And I needed to come back to my center before I made the decision it was time for me to leave the darkness or not. And so what felt like, I, I think it was probably around five, five hours, but what felt like an eternity, I sat there and I renegotiated my relationship with pain and I recognized that in life, no one's gonna save me. There's no one outside of me that's gonna be able to get inside of my experience and save me. This is mine to do. This is mine to come back to my center and to be the shaman of my own experience and to be the medicine woman of my own experience and to be the healer of my own experience, to renegotiate my relationship with pain and use it in service for good. And if I can do this for myself now, then the piece of empowerment will lock in that this will apply to every area of my life, that I'm good. Mm-hmm. And that will completely allow me to transmute this needing energy from anybody. I don't need you to be anything for me because I am for me. I am what I need for myself. And therefore then in the presence of others, there's a lightness that is born because it's a want, not a need. I want to be around you. I want to marinate in your energy and I need nothing from you, which is very magnetic. So I, um, I remember there was this thing that I was told a while ago, or I don't know how it came to me, um, but I was shown that if all I had in this life was just my healing touch, that would be enough that will take me everywhere I need to go. And so I just applied that to myself. And I just called in my Reiki, I placed the Reiki symbols on my womb. I held myself like I would if my child, my little girl came up to me and was like, mama, I'm in pain or I'm hurting. Like, how would I embrace her? I would hug her, I would hold her, I would love her, I would nurse her, I'd rock her back and forth until she felt fine again. I'd get to do that to myself. And so I did. And then um, at the end, when I actually started to find this place of empowerment again, and this place of my breathing becoming deeper, um, my grandmother who passed came to me and she sat with me. And she said, I've been here this whole time. She was the one that taught me Reiki as a kid. All you have to do is ask. And you don't have to do this alone. And I have her ring around my necklace, on my necklace, which is the ring that she gave me just before she passed. And she said, whenever you need me, just put the ring on your finger and call me in and I'll be here. And I felt a a wave of peace wash over my whole body. And I felt like I was back. I felt like my spirit had come back in. And I, what, what that dream did was it um, opened up a portal into all of the things that I hadn't given myself permission to feel yet. So I felt the depth of the separation of my partner and the merging of what it was. I felt the the depth of this, the, the sadness of the passing of the, that generation of my, my family lineage, my grandfather, my grandmother, meaning everyone in the family has now moved up a generation. So my mom's gone into the crone, I've gone into the archetype of the mother, and then there's the next generation that's coming through me mm-hmm. um, and what that actually means. 
um, because I was in such a low vibrational state, that gave me access to the low vibrational things that I hadn't given myself permission to feel through distraction. And because I got to feel it, then that space got opened up and then that was filled with a sense of, I know who I am, I know why I'm here <clears throat> and I know how I serve. And that is the empowerment that then gave birth to the next wave of the darkness initiation, which was pretty next level. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting that we'll have, as I tell the stories of my own ayahuasca journey later in this podcast, some some marked similarities of how in the difficulty, because ayahuasca is very difficult for me always, in, in that, I too had to learn how to truly self-soothe and self-love yeah. in like a really profound way. Because in, in these extraordinarily challenging situations teach you skills and adaptations that are vital for life in general, because you can't rely on anything else. You know, similarly to the darkness when you're on your mat in ayahuasca, like no one's coming to help you. You know, it's just you figuring it out. And that's the beauty of it. Mm -hmm. You know, doing a ceremony, if you're doing mushrooms by yourself at the house in the light, you can change the music. You can go do a, have a bath or whatever you want to do. And I do all of those things, but go outside, you know, like talk to somebody in ayahuasca. That's one of the beautiful parts of it. It's like you're, you're mat bound. Yeah, you can maybe go outside if you need to or something like that. But for the most part, you're mat bound. Mm -hmm. And it's just you got to figure your shit out. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's really important. It's important to limit your options for certain points to then allow yourself the opportunity to really see what's inside and see what skills you need to forge to bring into your life. Mm -hmm. It's the realm of self-validating. Yeah. And... Sometimes we can get caught up in needing validation from everyone around us to prove our worth in the space. Mm -hmm. And when we're in these situations, whether it's on your mat in an ayahuasca ceremony or in the darkness, all that's left is um, the stories that we've created of why we aren't worthy and then the invitation into self-validation. Mm -hmm. And that's a journey in itself. And that can take a long time to get to that point. And once that starts to happen and it creates a new default of the way that we speak to ourselves, that applies to everything in our life outside of the ayahuasca ceremony, outside of the darkness retreat. And it's where true power lies. Mm -hmm. And it's where the magnetism and the receptivity of the feminine essence within all of us mm -hmm. is activated. Is actually, it's not about necessarily hustling as it more is about aligning and then receptivity to magnetize. Yeah, yeah, well carry on with the initiation <laughs> so singing was a huge part for me i'm um, singing ikoros into the space specifically sitting with with ayahuasca um quite a few times recognizing the healing power of our vibration and our song and the song would guide me through my experience and um, whenever i was going through a challenging moment i would just sing and it was so beautiful to be in such a deep place of silence and listening that when the song comes through, it's a vibration that comes out of the throat and into every single 75 trillion cells of my body that then recalibrates my body into that essence. And so it really was a deepening of an understanding that, 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 that music as medicine, music as healing, not music as a performance, not song as a performance. I don't know who I want to perform to. It was just for the recognition of the vibratory state that it can actually change physical form. And that's why sound is one of the most powerful healing modalities that exist because it, change, it changes physical matter. Yeah. 
And so I remember you you called me before I went into the darkness and I asked for any last minute tips and and you said toning, you know, if you feel called to tone, it's extremely powerful. So a lot of toning um, and singing. And I had a bath, uh, eventually the bath water started working again and um, I was sitting in the bath and I remember something huge shifted in me where I was just sitting there and I did a mudra I'm laying in the bath water and all of a sudden it felt like my matrix cord got unplugged. And I was like, and all of a sudden I had no body. There was no beginning or end to my physical experience. I was floating in the vast infinite void and there was no observer to witness the mind. Even when I'm meditating, there's an observer mm. watching the thoughts, breathing through it, being mindful of my breath. There was no breath. There was no thoughts. It was just the infinite essence of the void and how gloriously alive nothing can be. And I don't know, because there's no time in that realm, I don't know how long I was there for. It could have been 10 minutes. It could have been an hour and a half, but it's pure silence. And what I was shown when I was in that space is this is the realm where healing happens. This is the place that the cells can, not, can actually start to rejuvenate themselves and replenish themselves. This is the place where dis-ease is transmuted out of the body in the stillness, in the silence. And this is also the place where pure originality is born from realizing that we are all constantly reflecting off of each other and recycling words or terminology or things that we have done or the way that we show up or the way that we stand and we're watching each other and like oh I like that I'm inspired by that and then we access our own version of that and we're constantly recycling wisdom from each other of things that we've heard and then we bring it in to things that we share and yet the place specifically as an artist where the most original the purest originality is born from is in silence pure silence and I hadn't actually experienced silence like this ever mm. and it's so empowering because there was nothing that I drank or took to access that that was actually just me facing off with myself mm. and it was so gloriously alive and so disconnected from needing to be something else like needing the food to arrive because that's the next thing I'm looking forward to or needing to do my mantras because that's the next thing I'm looking forward to I wasn't trying to get anywhere I just was in the moment mm. and that was the turning point for me throughout my whole experience was actually now the new goal became how much deeper can I soften into the moment as opposed to how many spiritual things can I accomplish mm. because Spiritual seeking is an addiction in itself. Yeah, it's just, it's doing with another intention in mind, but it's still, it's still playing the game of doing mm -hmm. and playing the game of validating based on what you're doing, you know? And the moment that validation is a part of what you're doing, especially in the magical spiritual realms, then the magic starts to drip down the drain. You know, like, yeah, all right, you might get some of it still, but as long as you're validating yourself and like, like, am I powerful? Look how powerful I am. Oh, am I spiritual? Look how spiritual I am. And that makes me better. 
than somebody else. You're participating in the very game that's making you sick in the first place, right. that's making the world sick in the first place to a great degree. There's obviously many things that can make the world sick, but this is a major part of it. You know, when you talk to Maestro Orlando, what is the top issue that people who come to him for healing are facing? He answers very simply, he says stress. And what is the stress? It's this constant desire to do more that you're not doing enough. And fuck, I know, you know, I'm one of those people who come to him and came to him this time with like stress, anxiousness. I'm not doing enough. I could do more. I want to do more. And yeah, some of those, some of that intention is truly altruistic. I want to do more because I love people. And some of it is because I want to do more because that makes me feel like I'm good enough. Like I'm not wasting all of these talents and blessings that I've had. And that's been a deep struggle because I know how blessed I am. I'm fucking impossibly blessed. And it's like, if I don't do something fucking magnificent every day with this amazing gift of my life, then I'm fucking up. And that pressure actually prevents me from doing some of the greatest work that I can do, which always happens when I'm in touch with the magic and I'm just doing something because I love it. Because I absolutely love it. I relish it. It's for its own sake. In the lineage wisdom of wisdom of Solomon, they would call that lishma, for its own sake. Like doing something for its own sake. So it's not a mantra or a healing practice for any other reason than for its own sake. Because that's what you're called to do, what you want to do. And, and that's you know having a process-oriented mindset rather than a goal. Goal-oriented. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's it. Yeah. And that's where the the true power lies is the why behind the action itself. It's not necessarily the action. Mm-hmm. It's the vibratory state in which is being infused into the very thing, the subjective thing. Yeah. Um, and in the listening and in the silence is when we can recalibrate and realign what the why is behind the thing. And then actually with less effort, more impact. Mm-hmm. Um, and it exists within all of us, you know, unworthiness and wanting to prove and be validated. Like this stems from a lot of our childhood. And there's a deep level of reverence and compassion for that. And it's also just about listening enough to be able to understand and call ourselves forward of where is this coming from and how can I create a space that allows me to reconnect to my why and then make action from that. And that is a refinement process that will happen for the rest of our lives. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Keep going. Um, so once I was in the place of being, I started to apply that to everything and I would pray a lot from that state. And I recognized that my prayers were supercharged when I was really embodied in the moment, not trying to skip, do my prayers and then I'll go do this. It was like, I will do my prayers until I'm complete. And Mm -hmm. in the darkness, because again, it can be just a projection of whatever I want to place on the darkness. It's a blank canvas. Um, I would visualize different people, everyone in this room, pretty much. Um, Everyone I know, everybody that I love and that is close to my heart, each person, alive or past, would come sit with me and we would say a prayer about their life. And bless their future, bless their path, bless their voice, bless their actions, bless their body, bless their mind, bless their spirit. And and really take time on each person. And whenever I was praying for somebody else, my suffering would end. The great secret. Service. It's like, I've, I've said this before, but 
service is the best drug on the planet but you got to take it pure that's the thing (laughs) otherwise you're just doing something for somebody else doing something for somebody else is exhausting Mm -hmm. service like truly service lishma for its own sake is the most replenishing feeling because as i see it like the nature of divinity the nature of a loving heart which is what we all want the actions of that nature is to be of service the action of divinity is service the action of a loving open heart is service that's what you do when you're in that state so by getting and doing the actions it actually reifies the state that we're actually going for so it's like you shall know a tree by its fruits is an old old lineage wisdom right it's found in the bible you shall know a tree by its fruits so as you are the fruits which is the service the tree is being established at the same time and that's why any study on depression will so show that when you go out to serve others your depression lifts because you're actually getting in the state where your tree is shifting by your actualization of the fruit mm-hmm. mm yeah it it really was a gift to me to pray for others and it was medicine for my body and my mind in there and it was a tool and it was also coming from a genuinely deep deep desire um to to be with others and to genuinely pray for them and pray with them and um as them and i felt so much gratitude run through my body when I was being able to utilize very heightened sense of awareness that has been activated within this space to then start placing my attention intention into the well-being of other people's lives how I received equally as much and that's what makes service for me irresistible mm-hmm. because it feels so good mm-hmm. and um, And that's important like people think like well if you're if you're serving somebody but it feels good to you it's not really service because we have this idea of this pure altruism mm -hmm. where like you do something but like you don't like it and i'm like what the fuck are you talking about like that's the backwards way that just means you're going to exhaust yourself of course of course you should love it of course it should feel good this is the way that this love story of the cosmos is written that when you love you receive love it's a it's a bilateral pathway the more you love the more you're filled with love you can't just shoot it one direction and not have it come back through the same channel Mm -hmm. it's not built that way so service of course is service to yourself and enjoy that enjoy that like this is this is this is the secret of service that we've muddied and confused with this idea that it must be a labor of pain. And of course, there's a time where you do sacrifice and it is a labor of pain. Sure, I get it. You know, there'll always be those moments, but you can open yourself up to surrendering to that act. And then all of a sudden, that bilateral pathway opens back up and you're replenished and refilled. And that's like, that's the key in any of these situations is, yeah, it should feel good. It really should. If you're doing it right, it feels fucking great. That's when you're taking the drug as service. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of like the cham- a champagne tower. If you go to a party and you see all these champagne glasses and mm-hmm. it's a, you want the champagne to get into every glass, well, you can't 
put the champagne in every glass by starting with the bottom glass. You fill up the champagne tower by pouring the, the champagne into the very top glass and it fills, 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 and then it bubbles over and then it goes to the next round and then to the next round. And so the next round, eventually you have champagne in every glass and there's abundance for everybody. Mm-hmm. And we are that top champagne glass. And so the service is to fill oneself up so much that it doesn't make any sense not to give. Yeah. It's bubbling over. There's so much joy. My hands are hot. My heart is open. I am here. I am in love. I have learned this to love this part of myself. And there's so much now that it only makes sense just to give. There goes the top champagne glass. Mm-hmm. And then it trickles to the next level and to the next level and to the next level. And there's abundance for everybody. And it's in a sustainable fashion without having to tap into the archetype of the wounded healer, which is giving to everyone but self, mm-hmm. which still has a hollow nature mm-hmm. and it's not sustainable. Yeah. And to be in that space and to and to know that those prayers are genuinely being felt and that time and space doesn't exist within that realm. It just is. And utilizing that moment and being shown, hey, you can do this whenever you want. You're standing in line at TSA waiting to go to your gate. Pray for someone. Mm. I could stand in line and be like, oh, God, so annoying. Oh, this guy next to me stinks. Oh, I've been waiting in line for an hour. Or I could be like, okay, this is my reality. This is what is. I'm going to utilize this time to go pray for my mother and whatever she's processing right now. Mm -hmm. What an amazing use of time. And realizing also the big things in our life is just a byproduct of like the big things in our life that that are a gift, that are beautiful, that have gifted us with something really is just a byproduct of utilizing the mundane moments in a place of love. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And that's how we build a magnificent life is to actually really bring the juice, the reverence, the respect, the service, the love, the abundance into the mundane. And that is what the darkness is. It's one giant mundane moment, which then can be gloriously alive, depending on how deeply you soften into it. Mm. Yeah. And it's not for everyone. No. I wouldn't recommend the darkness for everybody because it's, and that's what I was saying at the beginning, like my level of respect for what you have experienced because I heard you when we did the podcast together and you came on my podcast the very first time when we hardly knew each other and you talked about the darkness. The seed was planted in my mind and I had no idea really the depth of the initiation that you had gone through. Not until I had actually lived it and experienced it was when I had a complete deepening of my respect for the path that you've chosen to walk and then the stories that you choose to tell on the other side of it. Mm. Tell us about the moment that you took a little, you got a little banged up. That I got banged up. You got a little banged up. (laughs) So funny. Um, So, okay, so uh, before the banged up situation, I was in the bath. The bath for me was like my portal to another realm and it was a place where my mind would stop. And I was laying in the bath and I remember after, now I had been unplugged from the matrix, not that I was constantly in the stillness, but I definitely had felt the taste of what that felt like. And so that was more becoming the default of my experience. And I was laying in the bath and I did get a transmission that came through and it wasn't what I was expecting, but her name was the Lady of the Ducks. Mm. And she was fierce and wise and funny and loving and strong and the beautiful thing also that the darkness gifted me was the melting of my own individual identity of who I think that I'm supposed to be in every given moment. And we talked about on the last podcast, you know, you you gave me the title of witch and I have never really necessarily resonated with certain labels in, but I do, or and I do resonate with that witch 
is needed. Mm-hmm. And that really, the darkness really amplified that of saying, hey, can we take off the identity of blue? Can we take off the identity of of what you think you do or the wisdom that you think that you have or where you've come from and just allow yourself to be that which is needed in every moment in the darkness? And so I really tapped into the archetype of the shapeshifter. And the shapeshifter could be the little baby girl, the, the, the young eight-year-old version of myself that's afraid and scared or can be the lady of the dark that is sort of like sitting in there. She kind of reminded me of like Ursula, but a little bit from The, the Little Mermaid. Um, <laughs> oh, poor unfortunate souls. <laughs> However, she had like a, her own version. She was a lot more loving and she didn't take people's souls, yeah. but like. <laughs> Less diabolical. Yeah. <laughs> Less diabolical, definitely. Similarly um, charismatic. Yeah, definitely equally as theatrical. Um, and I was in the bath and she was like, oh, for I am the lady of the dark. Oh, what poor souls that are so afraid of their own shadow, saying that it's bad and evil, yet not recognizing that all of their power lies right where they're afraid of the most. And if only you can soften and surrender, you'll realize it's not actually a bad place to be. And she was like talking really confidently through me. And I was like, this is fun. (laughs) And for about 30 minutes, she would be riffing rhymes that were like steeply um, uh, in uh, the psychology and the philosophy of of the darkness. And showing me about Persephone and how she had descended into the darkness and actually then called her power back from this space and how within the great religions we have been conditioned for the most part that the darkness or the demons and this is all things to be afraid of and to avoid. And yet simultaneously within these dark spaces, actually when we can listen deeply, our power is recalibrated and then we can use that power in service to the light. And so that was a really fun experience of channeling the Lady of the Dark. And yeah. and she was also inviting me into recognizing that she lives within me and she can be accessed in the light and here and available. Um, and she's just another aspect of my psyche that um, that wants to really uh, come online in, in, in a big way. And, mm. and you, so- You reference this, this concept of the classic religions telling us to be afraid of the darkness in a real way. And it's interesting from a mythopoetic lens to look at that because if you think that the the rational mind, which is part of the separate self or the ego construct, the identity construct, very much in the light, right? It's always It's always able to see and it tries to always maintain control, maximum control. Well, the soul, the connected self, is always lying in the subconscious and the unconscious the non-conscious mind that's where our true self really lives and occasionally it can make its way all the way through to the light to actually where we become you know both still of course the separate self but the separate self infused with our soul with the wisdom of the unconscious with the connected part that's connected to all things and that merger is what's called you know in the lineage like your unique self it's where you actually as you yourself your sacred name story merges with the divine but that has to come up through the shadows up through the darkness so all of these different codexes are basically saying no 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 don't go down to where the soul is stay up here in the rational mind sphere stay up here in the separate self and it's just a trick it feels like to maintain power of the separate ego construct and not allow that power that comes in whispers and comes in intuitions and comes in a quiet knowing and the release of the light you know and actually finding yourself 
in the darkness. I think, you know, one of the one of the classic quotes that I put in my documentary about the darkness is there there are two men, one who is asleep in the light and one who is awake in the darkness. You know? And I think it was Khalil Gibran who said that. But it's so true because we think that, oh yeah, we're 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 conscious, we're awake, we're you know, our mind is tracking everything. We're in beta brain waves. We're figuring shit out and we're looking around at all of the different things. Oh yeah, this means this means that we're awake. No, we're not. We're just drunk. We're just drunk on our thoughts. Mm. We're drunk on our mind. We're not sober or awake or any of that. Like the awakeness actually lies in the truth that's in the shadows and feels like the lady of the dark was reminding you that as you but tell me about that a little bit as well because we're we're deeply steeped in a very magical world where entities and and expressions of the self are can actually come through different people particularly for the feminine i don't know a lot of um actually i do know some biological men interestingly they, they both happen to be gay which is which is kind of feminine essence yeah so deeply tapped into their their feminine essence in, in some way at least sexually um and also in their nature you can you can feel it but it seems to be happening all around us now like this is not like oh yeah there's that one person who can channel this being and there's this oh yeah and no it's like everywhere i look it's it's, it's such a different world than i ever expected i would be in and I'm also very skeptical. And I'm like, eh, I don't know. You know, that's always my default. But I feel the veracity, the truth. And I can feel when it's in alignment and I can feel it's not. And I'm looking around at everybody. You and Vailana and countless other people. And I'm like, yep, that's real. That's true. But I've never had that experience exactly. And so for people who haven't had that experience, what does it feel like when you have an, an encounter an experience with the being like the lady of the dark or an archetype of you that's the lady of the dark i think people try to make that distinction well is it external or internal it doesn't matter it's really like we are we are an entire ocean of the whole universe ourselves. so whatever you want but mm -hmm. either way there's this expression coming through you like what is that what does that feel like mm. it's been a journey to even trust that and there's been, I mean, of course, the allyship with plant medicine, specifically ayahuasca and um, magic mushrooms, <clears throat> have supported with opening up those channels. And then when they do, when when an, a different energy in it, sounds like you feel it, it's tangible. It's got, it's like, um, it can be just an expressed emotion of just like rage moving through, and it's like, oh, or sadness. Um, how much do I trust that? to come through and completely release what it needs to look like from an external perspective looking inwards. And that is a block to whatever it is that wants to move through, whatever emotion it is that wants through is the mind that's going, no, because that's not who you are, mm. right? And so when I talked about how it was a melting of my own identity, that is actually when I become super fluid in what is most alive. However, it has to go beyond the mind because the mind will want to have a sense of character that wants to hold on to or the ego. Um, 
And so it's been a journey just to even trust my emotions. And I think it's, that's the first thing that it comes forward is like to trust my own emotions when they want to come through, whether it's something super basic like sadness, grief. Can I trust this to move all the way through in this moment? And can I give it full permission? And I think that's the preliminary stages for me of trusting the emotions when they start to arise and, and giving them wings to be able to be expressed. And then from that place, um, there has just been, I can... I can significantly feel, I think part of my gift that I have been given in this lifetime is mediumship. And mediumship is to move the energy of somebody else's process, to move it through my body and to help transmute it out of the space. And that's that's taken me many, many, many times of learning to trust it when it doesn't make any logical sense. And that is also dying into the, the fears of, of uh, some religious programming around um, the, the fear of uh, possession or the fear of um of of going insane or losing my mind and having to actually go into that fear and and activate it from the inside out to then give it permission to what it wants to be and once that has started to be chipped away and it's it's been years of chipping away at that that's when all of a sudden i start to trust what is moving through me and as a byproduct when i'm starting to trust what's moving through me people around me start to trust what's moving through me and then it mm. gives me the space to allow it to actually breathe and I just want to acknowledge, you know, there's been certain people in my life, teachers, mentors, guides that have I have respected immensely that have seen me before I've seen myself, which has given me that permission to start exploring it, not just alone, but within other people around other people too. you yeah. being one of them. Actually, you being a huge catalyst in my life, like completely trusting me in every meeting that we've had. You said, I trust you're listening. I trust what's moving through you to the point where I've actually, because in the wake of somebody that I respect immensely and I really, really respect your navigational um, discernment, but specifically within the shamanic space has allowed me to start trusting those edges more, which has then allowed the gifts to come through more. <clears throat> and when it comes through it, 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 it's um, surprising. I feel like there's there's a part of my own consciousness that's sort of watching it. I say like I'm sitting there with the popcorn, like, oh, what's gonna come through next? <laughs> we don't know. Uh -huh. And all of a sudden, boom! Here's the lady, of the dark spitting wisdom for thirty minutes. <laughs> and I, I remember thinking when Lady of Dark was coming through, I was like, this is some fire poetry right now. <laughs> like, I've never really referred to myself as a poet, and in that moment, the Lady of the Dark gave me the gift that it lives with inside of me. And if I want to explore it, it's available. Um, and so it's it's a phenomenon that I think that the best way to come in with the mindset is that I don't know. Yeah. Because the second that I know, the glass is full and there's no room for anything else. Right. There's uh, there's some guidance from um, Paul Selig about anybody, and I just want to throw these caveats out because you know my father went into an attempt to channel and it didn't turn out well for him you know ultimately the voices that he was trying to hear the the voices that he's that he heard and is hearing are not the right voices and he lost himself in that experience so it's something that's very you know like i'm very sensitive to because i've seen the dark side of it as well as well as the beautiful side and you know paul selig who's a channel that i've had on this podcast many times and i deeply trust he had he had two two pieces and then there's a third that i'll add as well one be wary if that energy that you're putting through is causing you fear like yeah. if there's fear woven in there like that's a distortion that's a delusion that's not the right that's not the right entity you know number two 
be mindful if they're overly pumping your tires like if they're inflating your ego if they're trying to tell you that you are the messiah or you are the you are the god or the special or the thing rather than you are of course yeah you're god so is everybody else you know like that's like that's the, that's the real wisdom but if it's something like you and you are better than it's very seductive and it's the wrong voice that's likely a projection of your own ego trying to find another tool to establish its dominance and its hierarchy it's rooted in division it's rooted in division exactly which is not rooted in truth and number three maintain agency like May, what was that? maintain agency mm. just to know that if this comes through it comes through with your permission comes through with your choice and that you are still in control and if those three criteria are met then of course there's other practices you can do to set the right container and and many things protections and we don't need to go into all that but i think just as like the basic three tenets be mindful be wary of fear be wary of inflation and make sure that you have choice you know make sure that you have agency And just to, to press on the point of the container, before going into the darkness, I um, said very clear intentions and a prayer. May this be a place of unconditional love and anything that is ready to be transmuted in, into unconditional love. Only unconditional love and unconditional non-judgment is welcome here and all that is ready to be transmuted back to its original source of unconditional love and repeated it and made mm. an offering to the earth before going into the darkness. So I, I'm aware that I'm going into ceremony. I'm aware that I'm opening up my psychic channel. I'm aware that I'm going to be seeing things that are the unknown. However, because those pieces are put in place i trust the power of prayer and i trust the power of my offerings and i trust the power of the elements that i made an offering to prior to going in and i trust my ancestors that i call in and i trust the light beings in my life that i actively call into the space when those layers and the ikaros that i'm saying so there's so many layers that are set up so that um so that when these things come through my level of trust is so deeply rooted that there's no room for fear because of the layers that have been placed right so uh, there's one thing for me to just go into the darkness and be like and and be taken over and there's another thing to actively create a ceremony of deep intention reverence respect and listening and then to have that experience so it's it's a very valid point that you just said about the space being set to yeah i have a so my mother encountered this um chinese kind of i don't know spiritual medium of sorts and she told me this story and she was so impressed in this in this medium she was overtaken by a spirit and she needed alcohol and she chugged like a whole bottle of tequila passed out smacked her head on the ground and my mom was like it was incredible i was like no it's not incredible <laughs> like that's not incredible that sucks <laughs> that's, that's not the right fucking energy that makes you pound a fucking bottle of tequila and fall to the ground and smash your head i love like, your mom's response to that. like right. yeah all right maybe <laughs> that's she was incredible yeah, maybe <laughs> like maybe she was in touch with but you can become enamored with like and glamored by this idea of like wow i'm in touch with an entity well all right great congratulations but like it might you might be drinking a bottle of tequila and, and fucking crack your head on the ground yeah. you know what i mean and also other things you're saying was about 
a lot of fear and a lot of inflation and a lot i was like this is like this is the wrong this is the wrong shit there's the wrong shit here mm-hmm. you know and it's just important and, and look for most people they're gonna be like i don't know what these fucking kooks are talking about i've never seen anybody <laughs> encounter any, anything like this but some people out here as i think the world is evolving this is going to become more and more common so just planting a seed you may know somebody maybe this is your experience just a few guidelines and of course mm-hmm. i'm not the foremost expert on such things nor are you nor you know but just just be mindful you know with everything there's there's medicine and poison in the same available it's the way that the universe is is built there's dark and light in all things there's brujo sham ayahuasca shamans and then there's curanderos and curanderos like the light and the dark are all woven together in different ways in the dark yeah you can say it serves the light and ultimately it does and all these are initiations great i got it but it can still fuck you up you know what i mean so it's like you have to declare your own your own sovereignty and say like what do i sacred name aubrey or i sacred name baloo what do i want as my connected self as i'm connected to the divine that moves through me my unique face of the divine for which the divine would be incomplete without what do i want mm-hmm. you know and that's and that's like that's like the sword we talk about the sword of discernment that's like and that'll keep you straight and that what do i want is refined for me through a daily practice mm-hmm Without my daily practice, I get merged into the soup of other people's consciousness. And then what what do I want and what does that person want that I've just been hanging around with a lot starts to merge and I don't even can really decipher what's mine and what's somebody else's. And so that daily practice of my prayers and the like I did just before coming on the podcast, a consecration of my physical body and where all energy enters and exits to say a prayer, to recalibrate myself to my own personal energy um this is it's like a filtering system you place a filter in a room and it filters the air for a moment uh, for the day and then you turn the filter off and then wonder why there's stagnancy in the air again because every day that filter needs to be on to keep purifying the space and that is what a devotional practice looks like and that's what it truly for me allows me to align with my sovereignty and my heart so that when everyone in the group is doing doing this one thing but my intuition is saying actually that's not for you then I make that decision and understand later why I actually chose that because I'm listening to what is best for myself not what everyone else is doing and they just continue to follow the yeah path. it's like it's i feel like we've fallen into this technocratic understanding of or technologic understanding of who we are as if we've reduced ourselves to a computer and in a computer if you had a virus on your computer if you run the antivirus software that virus is gone <laughs> not coming back you don't need maintenance you don't need virus maintenance of the same virus well maybe you need to scan for other ones but once you fix something it's done mm-hmm. you know but that's not the way the body is you can't work out once and get strong you can't clean or clear or heal once and you're like fuck i'm good here we are here i'm good and put people will have that like you're doing ayahuasca again yeah yeah again and again and again until like forever because like i'm not ever gonna be good you know there's like there's always constant levels of challenge and sickness and 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 just the 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 difficulty of life that'll be accumulated in the in the tissues and in the body and in the psyche and so that constant process of cleaning and clearing and also the process of clarifying your desire 
again, in the lineage, it's called bearer. It's like the clarification of your desire so you know what you want on all of your different levels and being aware, okay, what does my separate self want? Okay, it wants to be better than these people, wants to do these things, wants to come. That's okay, beautiful, acknowledged. Like I acknowledge you. What does my connected self want? What is the part of me that's the deepest essence? What does that really want? And then what is the what is the merger and the combination of what my identity self wants, what my connected, what my soul self wants? Hmm. And just constantly cleaning and clarifying so that you really know, like you really know what you're here for. Hmm. And then that's in that point, you're incredibly, incredibly powerful because you're not distracted by a million, you know, competing desires that you don't have in any priority hierarchy so you're just at kind of you're a victim of the next shiny circumstance yeah. that you want to kind of steer towards because you haven't really clarified mm -hmm. what you really want mm -hmm. and that moves us from the realm of the, the potential palace which is beautiful because you have choice and simultaneously also can leak our life force energy through distraction and so actually moving into single point focus, the training of the mind on a daily devotional practice to bring our awareness into single point focus. In the gene keys, there's a specific gene key um, with the shadow of distraction and the CD, the highest expression of intoxication. Now we're talking about presence, intoxication of our presence. So the very thing that we can be distracted by and just be spread super thinly also could be laser focused life force energy and intoxicate through the divine drunks, the, the, the drunk on the present moment mm. and bring us our single point focus focus and awareness into it now this is a byproduct of training this is a byproduct of refining our mind and working with it as opposed to being a slave of and so this is where i believe true power lies um is the, is this refinement process and eventually over time we go to the gym we strengthen our muscles after six months of going every uh, f three days or whatever uh, sorry three times every week we start to become strong and then this is where actually we we can feel like we belong in our bodies we mm -hmm. feel like actually we start working as an ally with as opposed to becoming a victim of yeah and this is all of our individual personal responsibilities along this spiritual path because like like we talked about there's the there's the light and there's the dark side of it there can be the very challenging confusing moments and in those moments of on a daily practice this is when we can actually start to create a solid sense of self so when these moments present themselves i know who i am I know why I'm here and I know how I serve and I've learned to trust my own feelings and what I feel right now is that this is actually for service for the good and then that creates a deeper level of trust which then strengthens the channel of what yeah. it comes through yeah no doubt mm -hmm. all right tell so us how I got beaten up <laughs> we're just coming back to that point I don't want to leave that thread just exactly, dangling out exactly. there I was coming back to that too. um I was in the bath and I was doing breath work and you were, were you standing in the bath? I was, at this point, I was laying in the bath. And I've had this really interesting experience with like a relationship with head rush. You know, when you stand up too fast uh -huh. and like, whoa, dizzy for a moment. I love that moment because it kind of feels like a short little DMT trip. Sure. And in the darkness where there's absolutely nothing and a strawberry is the highlight of my evening, the the moment of head rush actually is like, woohoo! I feel a little bit light for a second and it's gone. <laughs> yeah. So I was like doing just like, it wasn't intense breath work, but it was deep intentional breathing in the bath. And then I was like, okay, I'm finished with my bath. And so I stood up and I felt a little bit of head rush and I was like, I'm going to ride this wave. So I decided to deeply inhale during the head rush and then squeeze my root and hold it. And I was standing up in the bathtub 
Probably actually not the most <laughs> responsible thing I could have done. So Wim Hof actually does that with, with people, but he does it with a spotter. Uh, so yeah. like you, oh, breathe, you breathe, yeah, this is like one of the practices that'll do that like creates a hard reset in the nervous system. So that's what it does. Yeah, that's what it does. So it creates a hard reset where like everything powers down and it's the restart, you know, it's like, and, <laughs> but he has somebody holding you, somebody of <laughs> adequate size holding you underneath your armpits. That makes sense. And then, so you breathe, you breathe, you breathe, you Wim Hof breathe, and then you stand up and you jump a little bit. And while you're holding your breath yeah. and you go out yeah. and then that person behind you, your spotter gently lays you down, pets your head like a little dog, a little cat. <laughs> and it's like, hi, sweetie. Welcome Come, to your Welcome new. back. And you're like, oh man, oh, I was out, I was gone. <laughs> oh, well, that's beautiful to know that I'm not the only one that's riding that wave. However, more responsibility <laughs> in, in, on his side. Um, yeah, so I, I, I did that. Um, and and I blasted into a DMT state with fractals and like and my hearing was like and I'm like whoa and the next thing I remember I'm back in the bathtub I'm like I'm pretty sure I got out the bath I'm like, <laughs> and I felt like I was in a full iOS update like I had gone through like a scanning. Back into like, I've started in the elevator on floor one and now on floor six. And I'm like in a new reality. And I remember just being like, ow, <laughs> why does my side hurt so much? And I, my head had like cocked back on the bathtub. And I was like, and just, I don't know, for maybe five seconds, I was like, what the heck just happened? And like a little bit of fear. But then I was like, oh yeah, rode that wave, <laughs> passed out. <laughs> Here I am. And now I don't, I have an interesting relationship with pain in the sense that when I feel pain, I go deeper into it. And, and, and like I did with when I was feeling the pain in my womb, just alchemizing it um, because pain and pleasure, you know, have a very interesting balance or like mm. a very interesting um, relationship on the spectrum, on the same spectrum that they are. Yeah. So I can. They're part of the same pole. And that's where yeah. you get polarity is like part of the same yeah. pole. And you can actually move pain and pleasure along that pole if you're exactly. a master. So it's sensation ultimately. And yeah. then it's a relationship to the sensation is what the experience of it is. And so I absorbed the pain and was like, oh, fun. And I. <laughs> I didn't Man, realize. I wish I had that skill. I could have used that in ayahuasca for sure. Oh, yeah. Ooh, nausea. Yeah. Delicious. Let's go, purge. <laughs> <Ooh. laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the purge can be nice, but the just the sitting with the discomfort of it. But ultimately, so you've passed out and cracked your side yeah. on the bath. Yeah. This was definitely unadvisable. <laughs> this is like highly unadvisable. Yeah, there was yeah, wetness, yeah. there was unconsciousness. And there was hard objects. And no one coming no, to see me no for another one. 12 hours and no emergency button. Yeah. So you're, you're well protected in the, in yeah. the astral. Yeah. Unadvisable. Um, but I did, I did come out with some like pretty solid bruises. Mm. And because it got me on the rib, it looked like a bear claw. There's like the, the way that my bones and my yeah, ribs yeah, were, yeah, yeah. it was just bruised around the rib. And so I came out and, um, I ended up posting on my Instagram stories of like a few snippets of the darkness. Then I posted and I was like, and I came out with a few bumps and bruises. And then I had so many messages of being like, you got attacked by a demon. Like, <laughs> I was like, I appreciate your imagination. Not quite that. I was just 
breathing um, yeah. and passed out irresponsibly. Um, and uh, yeah, it was like, for me, it kind of felt like a my little like souvenirs of yeah. the darkness. When mine, uh, do you remember my, where I got, where I got fucking banged up in the dark? Do you remember what happened no. to me? Okay, so I had a chair with like a, it was like oh, a wicker you, chair with yeah. a rail that went around the back of it, like a hard kind of like wood, wood rail that went around the back in a curve and it was tucked into the desk where i would or the table where i would eat my eat my dinner <laughs> and i had pulled it out just like not really thinking i'd like you know got out of the chair and it was somewhere in the middle of the room well i had a nice rug in the middle of the room and so i was i come out of the shower i kind of dry off a little but it was cold so i went to the rug in the middle of the room to finish drying off instead of the cold shower tile or whatever so I was on the rug and then I go to dry off my ankles and, and I did it like fast. Like I was drying my ankles off fast. And as I did that, of course, my head it was going downward in an arc like an ax. And I had no idea that the chair was right there. And so I just headbutt, <laughs> face butt the top rail of the chair right on my nose. Just like crack. And I was like, it was unbelievable. Like immediate, like a few stars, like yeah. what the fuck? Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> and then just rage just rage yeah. i was like so you mad okay. at the chair yeah i was like i take the chair and i <laughs> throw it somewhere like it was the chair's fault yeah it was clearly the chair's <laughs> it was clearly it was my fault for not tucking it in and then i was like oh fuck now i gotta go find the chair yeah. <laughs> and I put it back but yeah so i had like if you look at the the videos of me coming out of the dark i have like a big like cut on my oh, nose you had it yeah cut you. like cut me yeah, there's you know you're gonna get you're possibly gonna get a little banged it, up. Though. You're in the in the pitch black and it's discombobulating. And I think I'm on the way to the bathroom, but all of a sudden I'm banging into the table. And I'm like, wait, I'm the complete opposite side of the room from where I yeah. thought that I was. And it was a good lesson for me though, because obviously tucking in a chair is something that you know there's this these ideas kind of comes from Zen, like how you do anything is how you do everything. And any bit of sloppiness that I had in there, you pay the price for. Yeah. You don't consciously put something down. Like how many times a day are we like, where did I put my phone? Where did I put my pen? Where did I put my thing? Where did I put my it. chapstick? <laughs> yeah, and then you're like looking around the place because we're not conscious of doing the things like, here, let me put my thing here. Yeah. Here it is, here's my thing. Yeah. Let me, did I lock the door or not? I don't know, be present when you lock the door. Exactly. And then you won't have any fucking idea whether you lock the door or not when you're 15 minutes away and you're like, fuck, did I lock the door? Right. Like just being present and and there and conscious for all of these small actions yeah it's like a different way to live and that crack of my face was like okay mm -hmm. in the darkness now tuck your chair mm -hmm. put your things in the right spot don't be lazy mm -hmm. and it's like a it's a valuable lesson mm. i see everything as a micro ceremony so even when i'm brushing my teeth if you're in the darkness and you take the lid off the, the toothpaste and you don't know where you put that, you ain't going to see it again. Yeah. And your toothpaste is going to get all mangled and then you go brush your teeth with it. So it's about <laughs> like, okay, I take the lid off my toothbrush, toothpaste, I put it down and I know it's right there and it's one inch to the left of the sink. Okay, got it. Yeah. Then I come, and it's a presence that... I love to continue to incorporate into my everyday life when I was at the retreat center and we move into the room and like the the ritual and the ceremony of every small item and knowing exactly where it is and the cleanliness of my room allows me to feel super aligned that I can actually be fully present because there's not open tabs of things that I didn't complete, like putting the lid back on the toothpaste or did I lock the door or did I not? Like these are 
open ceremonies a little bit. Yeah. So every single moment is a little mini ceremony and the darkness is such a great teacher of that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Tell us about like, what was it like coming back out into the light? Mm. So for me, that was one of the most profound aspects of it. Mm. I put on a blindfold and um, he came to you know me in the morning and opened the door and he guided me up the stairs and I could see like little peaks of light under the blindfold. So I just pushed my eyes onto the blindfold as much as possible so no light leaks would come in. And then it was cold outside and just feeling the breeze um, was such a gift. And I think that one of the most amazing things for me that came out of the darkness on the other side of it was the incredible amount of gratitude that I had for the smallest things that we take for granted on a daily basis. Um, and I would sit down and I was feeling the breeze and I was like, oh, the breeze. What an amazing sensation. And I put like a little cape on and he was like, whenever you're ready, take the eye mask off. And I took a few breaths and I said a prayer that that this was going to be as if I had just returned back. To, I've just come to earth for the first time to see everything through fresh eyes, to see the trees and the birds and the sun through fresh eyes and the miracle of what it actually is. And so when I took the eye mask off, it was blinding. Mm. Like, you know, when you see in movies when someone's like, passing over to the other side and it's like, mm. or met God and it's like this blinding white light. That was exactly what it felt like when I took the eye mask off to the point where I was like, I had like for a while, like could hardly look up. And it felt like I, I was um, on three grams of mushrooms or something. Like there was, everything was like fractals and breathing and the colors were pixelated. And it was like, mm. and also through the lens of being Eternally grateful for the smallest things while simultaneously seeing everything for the first time. It was such a wild sensation. And that feeling lasted for about six hours. Mm. It wasn't just a quick like, oh, and you're back in the light. It yeah. was like, and I would look up and I see a bird land on a branch and just be like, whoa, that's a miracle. Yeah. <laughs> look at that tiny little thing that can fly and is perfectly designed the way that it is through some creator that is something that we can't even place a name on. It's so vast and intelligent. Like, to be in that essence and to be so clear in my mind and so present and so grateful and to know that that is being integrated in real time, I felt reborn is an understatement mm. and all my senses were heightened even my hearing and walking slow talking slow moving slow and just coming back to a new default way of being and to actually genuinely move beyond this human doing into an actual human being an actual human being mm. quiet and it was um it was a moment that I'll never forget for the rest of my life, hmm. coming back out into the world. And a hell of a preparation for ayahuasca. <laughs> right, you know, before I had like, okay, do your diet and like make sure that you're not eating salt and this is a specific food regime and all of the things. Well, how about let's just deprive you of everything <laughs> besides one meal a day, yeah. which is super basic. Yeah. Um, and face off with the deepest parts of your own psyche so that you can come to the medicine clean, clear, and grateful. 
whoa, now that was a game changer. So what I was shown was the darkness was my death and the medicine was my rebirth into a whole new way of, of weaving in this world. Yeah. And for me, I had to do both death and rebirth yeah. <laughs> in the ayahuasca. <laughs> so let's go into that after I use the restroom. So what I'm thinking for the ayahuasca portion of this podcast is let's switch roles slightly here. And your podcast host have an amazing podcast, which I've appeared on. And we'll kind of switch roles because I'm going to guide myself through my own ayahuasca arc because it was very profound. And yours is always very profound, but you've done several hundred <laughs> and I've only done 25, 26. So uh, there's a lot of, lot of interesting things that I want to get in. And I just want to rely on your wisdom to help guide us through this next portion here. Let's do it. Let's peel back the layers. Let's do it. So... <laughs> The first part, going into ayahuasca, one of the beautiful things about ayahuasca is it demands that you purify. Mm -hmm. And I've had an ongoing battle with being off and on different sleep aids and sleep medications. And for ayahuasca, there's just no, there's no leeway. You got to get off. You got you to gotta come in clean. And so that brought its own challenge into the ceremony because I wasn't sleeping much, you know, because mm -hmm. it's like, okay, now it's done. This is in, you're in dieta and it's done and there's not really an option there's potential dangerous interactions and there's also the commitment to purify yourself to actually encounter the medicine in like in the right way in the right alignment so coming into the first ceremony first of all also a fucking stunning group of people mm -hmm. down at soltara in costa rica with maestro orlando el dragon and we have a little mini documentary coming out about el dragon and a lot about our first experience last time with them but a magical magical group of people at a magical time in the world challenging of course so that was also weaving in, in incredibly powerful and beautiful and new friends and new allies and and old old tribe and allies you know many people there that i've known for i don't know you know over a dozen years caitlin i've known for 18 years and makad 12 and bodhi 17 years mm -hmm. and like old and new and new friends that i've only known for months and a powerful powerful group of people and my own challenge was as i was going in sometimes only sleeping three hours a night you know because my body was acclimating to not needing any you know sleep aids mm -hmm. and so going into the first ceremony i was a, i was pretty banged up like I came in already feeling like exhausted, like kind of hot and a little, like the inflammation just from the physically not sleeping was already there. And I realized that one of my intentions was to sit into the discomfort and really learn to accept it because you can only be comfortable if you're comfortable with the uncomfortable. Because if, you're, if you have apprehension or fear of discomfort then you're always not only going to be experiencing the discomfort but you're going to have the discomfort and anxiousness of worrying about the discomfort because the discomfort carries such weight right and that's what i was experiencing and even though i'll do it in brief moments a hard workout you know a, an ice plunge or something like that like i can go into the uncomfortable intentionally and i have my whole life for brief moments i still am a am a slave to the comfortable and so like i knew like i needed to confront discomfort head on and then find also a greater faith and that was those are my two main intentions that i brought 
And ayahuasca, more often than not, delivers on your intentions. I drank the first cup of ayahuasca and immediately it was the most uncomfortable nausea that I've felt and I can ever remember on ayahuasca. It was just right immediate. It was like massive, massive, massive nausea. And then I started to get like hot and sickly and like it was so gnarly. And so a lot of my first journey for the first couple hours was just leaning into accepting, okay, here I am, just accept, just like allow the uncomfortableness to be there. And ayahuasca was also weaving its beautiful magic, beautiful visions and, and different ways in which the medicine would come into my mind and start to make little repairs and, and come up with little plants and vines and leaves. But I found myself constantly finding a distraction or finding something else that my mind was saying this will make you comfortable if you think mm -hmm. about this or this will make you comfortable if you move over to this or if you wiggle this way or shake this way or breathe this way and i kept saying nope back to the discomfort like find a way to be comfortable in your discomfort and that was like for hours and it got to the point where the discomfort was so much it kind of broke me actually a little bit like i was on the at the verge and i actually reached over Vilana was next to me for this first ceremony and it's a little bit naughty <laughs> but i reached over and i just reached over to hold her hand i was like i just need a little support right now just just i need my love to hold my hand and that gave me just a little bridge to be like okay i'm gonna be okay i'm gonna be okay mm -hmm. And that's one of the beauties of this medicine is like, it's, it's really, it's hard. It, it can, it doesn't always, not, isn't always, but often it's hard. And like, that was a really key, you know, key experience for me. Just to be like, okay, I know I'm exhausted. I know I'm hot. I know I'm nauseous, but I'm okay. Like, Do you feel like the experience shifts the moment that you genuinely believe that you're okay? Yeah, that was like, that was the place I was getting to, which is a combination of faith that like this, this too will pass, that classic, classic wisdom. Yeah. And also, if it doesn't, I'm okay. Mm. And after I held Vailana's hand, it was like, if it doesn't, I'm okay. And I got to that point, and then I sat in that for a while. But there was no relief to the symptoms and the feeling. So I was like, all right. I think I've had enough of this lesson for today. We got a long week. I'll go back here if necessary. And so I was like, I'm gonna purge. I'm gonna make the choice to purge. And we practiced that actually. Part of the Soltara way is you have a lemongrass vomitiva where you actually chug a bunch of lemongrass, which isn't an emetic. It doesn't make you nauseous by any stretch. It's actually quite pleasant. It's like a nice tea, like a iced tea with no ice. <laughs> and, uh, and you make yourself vomit. And it teaches you like, okay, I can make myself vomit if I want to. So I was like, I'm gonna do it make myself vomit so i go up and i get on all fours you know like cat pose you know and i'm like all right here we go here we go it's gonna come and i like make myself purge and all that came out was one thick nugget of <laughs> chunky ayahuasca Ew. and that's all that comes in my mouth and it just floods my mouth with the, the same taste. nauseating taste of that thing that had made me nauseous for three and a half hours and i spit it out and it hits the bottom Dunk. of the bucket with a clunk with like a, like a thud and and then ayahuasca the voice of ayahuasca says uh-uh 
I'm not done with you yet. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> so I like lay back down. I rinse my mouth out with water. Lay back down. I'm like, fuck. That was like the worst. That was like the nightmare scenario, <laughs> right? Because now like I have the nausea and the taste yeah. making me more nauseous. And I'm like, this is horrid. Like this is like, like I made things way worse. And in that, I started talking to ayahuasca because it came through with that classic, like stern, like, no, I'm not done with you yet. And I was like, let me try to change the relationship here. Let me try to establish a different relationship. And I started talking to ayahuasca like I would a lover. And I was like, mm -hmm. sweetheart, I love you. Thank you so much for everything you have brought my life. Mm -hmm. Like my love, my love, I love you. I love you. And my love to ayahuasca, which of course people are saying, what are you saying? You're loving a, a fucking drink? But there's a spirit there. Spirit. There's a spirit there that you can really feel. And as I said that, I heard another voice emerge. And it was the loving lover voice of ayahuasca, which matched my love that I brought to her. And she came with a loving voice. And she started talking to me like a lover. And I was like, ah, oh, sweetheart, I know this is hard. You know, but you know, like, this is for you. You know, we're doing this for you. And I love you too. And it was this like beautiful dialogue. And through that, that was like a great relief to feel like she was, like we were on the same team and we were lovers in this thing together. And I just thought like, all the time we think of ayahuasca, oh, grandmother ayahuasca, like it's just being that's stern and, you know, loving, but stern and, and, and grandmother. But when I switched it to lover, it was very different and there was it just showed how vast the spirit is and how reducing her to grandmother is not quite accurate you know it's just a symbol that we use and sure it's a fine symbol and she can appear that way but also she can be a lover absolutely and, and a goddess right and so our lovers are designed specifically to trigger us in all of the areas in which our growth wants to happen and where all of the areas where our awareness yep. wants to be sent into as all great lovers do of all great lovers do yeah that's why so much growth happens in relationships mm -hmm. that's it so in that with that loving relationship established she was like drink a little water drink a little water and and we'll move through this together so i drink a little bit of water and then then the nausea starts to build and build and she says okay like now my sweetheart like now my sweetheart you can let go mm. so i get up to purge and it was just this gorgeous like easy purge that everything emptied from my stomach and everything left my system and it was mm. just peace and like then the ecstasy of the ayahuasca which is just the light and the visions and the beauty of the experience was there without any of the discomfort at all my fever my clamminess all of that left my body and it was and i was just in this really loving dialogue with ayahuasca mm -hmm. and that was really like the first journey but it was it was very special because i it established a different relationship with her and with her and me that is uh it was just a great lesson that that others and anybody will treat you very often like you treat them. You know, like when you send loving, loving words and ideas, like that'll often be reciprocated. Exactly. You wouldn't go to somebody's home and just open the front door, not acknowledge them, keep your shoes on and sit down. Yeah. It's a relationship. You knock on the door, you wait for them to answer. 
you embrace them. Hi, give them a hug, have a conversation, take your shoes off, go sit down. There's a level of respect. And just because she doesn't have a physical body doesn't mean that she doesn't have a spirit. Mm-hmm. And she's asking for a dialogue and a conversation. Introduce yourself. What yeah. is your name? What What would she like to be called this evening? It's not grandmother for everybody. It's mama. It's beloved. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's your own personal relationship. But that relationship wants to be established as allies, not to just go in there and get spanked. It's... it's uh, right. It, 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 it's it's a relationship and you started from the sounds of it, your experience with working with her in respect and an allyship and to be able to move through it together for you as opposed to, oh, why am I doing this again right. and not establishing any sort of connection? Yeah, and if you come in like, grandma, you're going to spank me. I've been bad. She'd be like, sure, <laughs> here it is. Here's the spanking. <laughs> you know, like this was the this is what the relationship was established as. And she got a whole new paddle, and she ready. <laughs> yeah, to go. she ready. She's ready. What do you want? The belt, the spoon, yeah. the paddle? Like, do you want to get kinky with it? I'm like, <laughs> how deep? How deep you want to go here? You know, I'm I'm your huckleberry. She's Let's prepared. go. She's you know, she, she's ready. <laughs> and uh, so in that in that beautiful space, I had some you know. The first, the the second ceremony I had with Maestro Orlando, the second time I ever drank ayahuasca, I was visited by these amazing ships, this flotilla of snakes and serpents that sucked this black smoke out of my body. It was massive, filled up the whole sky. And then that moved through. And then this other amazing ship with these like hieroglyphic sigils and things that were all over it this massive pointed ship which filled the whole sky came and it beamed this light underneath my tongue and it was like this beautiful encounter of these ships and so i was i was saying like you know beloved like sweetheart i i want to see a ship like can you show me can you connect me to a ship and i i have a particular affinity with uh, Pleiadians, which I felt like I've contacted this, this star nation, perhaps of my own imagination or perhaps of a reality that exists in our multidimensional existence. I tend to believe the latter, but either way, that's what I wanted to see. And what came was there, the ship, a craft arrived into my vision space, but, and it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen but I realized that it was showing me the most beautiful thing that I could imagine. And I could never paint it or think of it myself or draw it or think of it on my own, but it was some deep longing for beauty that was projected on this thing. And it was like a quantum ship. And then once I got, once I explored it and looked at every way in which it went, which it appeared to me, which was these beautiful visions of almost like it was carved with waves. Mm and waves of light and frequency and it was moving and it was stunning and then it then it could shift into another thing that was equally beautiful but different and then shift again and i realized that the ship that i was looking for was actually whatever i wanted to see mm-hmm. it was like a quantum reflection of that thing which i wanted to see the most mm-hmm. and and of course because it's not a physical thing i couldn't reach out and touch it i couldn't knock it like i could knock a table you know it didn't have that level of density so it was it was like a a interesting way to reframe like what appears to you in these quantum realms is what you want to be how you want something to communicate you Mm -hmm. you know to you Mm -hmm. and uh and that was also like there was a little 
cool like lesson in there that we see all of these figures and things and really those figures aren't necessary they don't look like that because they're not matter but that appears to our mind in symbolism in a way in which oh yeah like that means something particularly special to us mm-hmm. and how do you decipher the meaning for you in this case there was no there was less deciphering and it was more an understanding that this was the most beautiful thing that i aubrey could see mm-hmm. and like that was the gift it was like i'm going to show you the most beautiful craft that you could you could ever see and it was a feeling like it couldn't be more beautiful mm-hmm. it just couldn't it could not because it was all of my desire to see something beautiful and magical reflected back a hundred percent more magical and more beautiful than i could ever desire mm. you know it was like it was the feeling like you can look at a sunset and say like, wow that was beautiful but maybe you might say oh, i'd like a little more reds in there well in a real sunset you can't make it appear a little more red or at least i don't have those magical powers <laughs> to change the colors of the sunset Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> but in this in this realm it was at maximum it was like this is the most maximum awe-inspiring beauty that you can see mm. and it was like a beautiful like reward and kind of a cap and a lesson for that mm. and then you know packed everything up gave our hugs went to bed and yet also the ceremony when you pack everything up and it's the walk home it's the conversations with bye just before you're about to fall asleep it's the dream state it's i mean the ceremony does the whole continue. week has but, its arc you know and of course there's vilana's experience and her ceremonies and the weaving with other people mm-hmm. where the individuation of your experience on the mats then extends into the into the group mm-hmm. and uh yeah it was so that was night two that was night one. Oh, that was all night one. That was all night one. <laughs> night two. Woo! Night two, things got really particularly interesting. So I drink, and now, <laughs> so I go to drink ayahuasca night two, and El Dragon brought his own brew from that he brewed from his village outside Terrapoto. And he's, you know, from the Quechua lineage, they've been brewing ayahuasca in a particular way for a long time. He uses black ayahuasca, which is a very intense intense vine and his own admixture of you know chacruna and that he that he builds into the vine and the first night it was kind of a of a thinner version of the of the dragon brew and thinner than i remembered from the last time that i sat with him which was six months ago and this time i go up and he serves me out of a little gourd this is like kind of like a little wooden bowl Mm -hmm and that's when you know it's gonna be it's gonna be rich <laughs> yeah 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 so he serves me out of this wooden bowl and the first time he filled it up because it was kind of thin so i had a full cup of this kind of thinner brew and it was it was strong but it wasn't super intense mm-hmm. so he goes to pour the second night and i was the first person to get his brew and he goes to pour it and it comes out so thick i mean it was like <laughs> it was like a ketchup bottle where you have to pound the bottom of it oh. to get it to come out oh. And he goes to pour it, and I hear him go, oh, oh, oh. And then, then the two other amazing facilitators, Valco and Jen on the other sides, who are kind of watching this whole thing, all of them go, oh. oh. Like everybody was like, whoa, that's a thicky. That's a thicky. And he only filled it up halfway because it was like sludge. And I'm just, huh. Oh, I'm just oh. drinking it down, but it's going so slow. Yeah. Like I can't even like 
hold it for yeah. a while. Just hold it and trickles it's like, like tar into <laughs> yeah. the back of your throat, and exactly. you know you're about to take <laughs> yeah. off on a spaceship to God knows yeah. where, and there's no stopping it now. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I finally get it down, and like I know the whole bowl is just coated with ayahuasca because <laughs> it was so thick, right? And like I finish it as much as uh, as much as I could. <laughs> And I go to sit down, and I sit down, and I immediately, I start treating myself like I did ayahuasca. It's like the most loving, and what I was referencing when you were talking about the darkness, that self-loving, nurturing, and I was like putting my hand on my chest and like, it's all right, sweetheart, like, you've got this, like, you're doing so good, like, and just loving myself with the most loving voice, the most loving touch, like, possible and it was a beautiful experience from the start i had no nausea i had no discomfort and it was just a love fest it was me just deeply loving myself Mm -hmm. deeply and the group which was kind of everybody was in their own you know energy and the group was just coming together night one night two we did some you know practices together and we talked a lot and the group cohesion was really strong you gave a beautiful prayer we had talked about the different songs of solomon we were really coming together as a beautiful group and the cohesion of the group was just magical and it it locked in and you could feel it yeah and we could really like feel it It felt like a combination lot that it like clicked it was like totally totally Mm -hmm. yeah and the medicine space opened up in, and they call this the, like the mariación, the medicine space. It's, they call it seasickness, where you're, everybody's in the medicine. And there's a collective medicine. So you have your own mariación, you have the collective mariación. And in night one, it only felt like it clicked. Myself and, and Jen, the other facilitator, Shapibo, we were talking about it. There was like a brief window where it opened up for everybody. And there was three beautiful Icaros in a row. Maestro Orlando laid one down. And then Jen laid one down, and then Valco laid a, laid a prayer down, like tapped into the Christ consciousness. He says, in el nombre Jesucristo. But it wasn't the words that he was saying. It was like when he was saying it, he was there. He was like touching the Christ. Mm. And it was fucking beautiful, but it was, it was short. But this time, it extended through the whole through the whole experience. So as I'm loving myself and loving ayahuasca and inviting her in, like, I'm so excited to see you, sweetheart. Like, I can't wait to, I can't wait to dance with you tonight. Like, it was just such a loving dialogue and everything was so beautiful. And interestingly, like what came up in the vision and the visions were, man, like people who have an experience that don't understand how impossibly beautiful these spaces can be, like mind blowing. Like think of the uh, most amazing fractal art that you've ever seen, those 3D fractal paintings and visuals and experiences. Maybe you've even gone into VR versions of it where it's just so beautiful, but you're in that fully yourself, you know, and it's, and it's just moving and appearing. So I'm in this place where all of the beauty was in my, in my vision and I see this monster come through, mm. which was made of the light which was interesting because sometimes like the the entities that you see are actually they're more made of darkness and distortion this being was made of the light but it was eating the light it was eating eating all of the medicine and all of the light all of the fractals all of the it was eating it and it looked like it had a giant exposed brain 
that was like the size of a giant pine cone and it had this 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 gnarly face and it was just chewing and eating all of the light what do you mean it was made of light made the interesting of the light. thing so sometimes i've encountered beings that felt dark like and i could imagine a dark being that was eating the light and there was only darkness this being was also beautiful but it was a monster it was a monster that was eating the light but it was still made of so it was curious because i couldn't say like you're bad but i also didn't like that it was eating the light mm -hmm. and it was like that, mm, you don't need to eat the light <laughs> like that's not like it's not it's not like it was doing something good with it like transmuting it into more beautiful it was eating it and it was i mean the big brain was like the interesting part and then i immediately realized that oh that's me that's my mind that's my mind that eats the medicine available in every moment by distracting myself mm -hmm. by being worried by projecting a piece of myself into the future to worry about something else because that's really what we do when we're worried or anxious there's a piece of us that's in a future timeline that's suffering the pains and suffering the worry of a possibility and then transmitting that danger to us here it's like a scout that we send that our mind sends to the future to explore some shitty possibility and then beam back the message like this is dangerous this is dangerous and we do that so that we are aware of a potential danger but we feel the danger so that we have the motivation and action to move and i recognize that in my own life my brain is constantly eating the medicine of every moment mm. it's eating the eros it's eating the the life the love the presence by going into a future reality where things aren't good or i'm not yeah. navigating this and and so it came into my mind and i saw how all of the tentacles of that being had extended and stretched into so many areas of my life and were keeping me from just basking in the in the beauty mm. of every single moment you said something on the retreat that i wrote down because being a victim of the future yeah. and like learning to no longer be a victim of the future right and that is essentially what you're yeah. talking about in this period. and i recognize that i was doing that i was doing that on purpose not not necessarily from a super conscious place yeah. but i was sending a part of me to suffer in the future to try and prevent me from being in that timeline where i suffer but i was doing this always always so a part of me had been fractured off and was intentionally being a victim of a possible reality so that it could transmit the pain and fear of that possible reality because i believed that that would help me to navigate away from that reality however yeah all right maybe it's practical but nonetheless if you do that always instead of just having faith if you do that always a part of you is always suffering in the future and transmitting that back to yourself in the present mm -hmm. and that's what this this light eating monster was doing now of course the monster was still light because of course all of me is still a part of the divine and all of me is still part of it but it was just misguided and it didn't need to be doing that mm -hmm. maybe in certain circumstances as a ceo or different things you do need to do that to a certain but you have to control that you have to have like you have to be the master of that part of you that's projecting those scouts into the future and have to have the ability to call them back so that you can just be in your heart and that's where i started focusing like everything like back back to my heart like instead of being in the head and like back to my heart 
And I noticed that I would, I would navigate also, like I would get distracted still. And it was just like, I would get distracted and the beautiful medicine that I was seeing and experiencing would go away. And then I would say, oh, sweetheart, like come back, come back. Like I lost, you know, I just lost focus. And I wasn't guilty for it, but I was just saying, like just acknowledging like, I come back. And that's another invitation for every moment. If we find ourselves in our thoughts or out of our mind, let's say you're making love to your lover, you know, and then all of a sudden your head goes to think about something, maybe whether they're going to climax or maybe it's something even separate from lovemaking or you're in your head. There's always the chance to call yourself back, Mm. back to the heart, back to Mm. the heart, back to now, back to this presence, back to this sensation, back to this breath, back to this pleasure. And even in something simple like a conversation. Of course. Bring it back. Eating a, eating a meal, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, this meal's so good. Thought, 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 thought. Food starts disappearing. You don't even realize how delicious it was anymore. And all of a sudden, the food's gone. Mm-hmm. You missed it. You missed it. You know? Where am I? I'm yeah, like, yeah. Well, oh, where did well, that great. meal this go? Was, I yeah. didn't even enjoy now, it. <laughs> now I'm full. You know, now let me go to another thing and yeah. fucking. So it was just this like dance between moving between, you know, my heart, which was there in the present and was just in the rapture and ecstasy of life and then my mind which was suffering the pains of different future realities or also past mistakes because as my heart was opening in this process mm-hmm. and i was opening like open your heart love like open your heart just just feel it in your heart then i could see as my heart was i was getting more in my heart i was looking at different moments and different actions and different things that i said and I would feel like, oh man, I could have said that so much better. I could have done that so much better. But that very act itself was then in, I was in judgment of a past timeline. And I watched my own body get uncomfortable. And as I would feel that, I would like, I'd like rub my head. And I would notice the tension that came through my body when I was in judgment of myself. Mm. And all of this tension would come through. And I'd be like, relax. You always do your best. You did your best then don't worry like everything's okay you know but i i was very keen to be able to track myself which is this is like such an invaluable skill for me and i've become aware of my own these were all unconscious to me i didn't i do that all the time i'll be lying in bed and i'll think about something i could have done better and my arms will go up over my head and i'll be like i'll squeeze a little bit and then i'll finally Mm. like breathe through like and it's this moment of tension and this squeeze of judgment yeah like i why did i do it like that mm. and i and i make these similar moves or i'll flex my legs and mm-hmm. it's like oh, and i was just relax yeah <laughs> relax 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 it's okay and in that process i also realized that a lot of times i'm so busy with scouts to my past and then the part of me that judges looking at no scouts in the future and the part of me the judges looking at my past that what i'm actually projecting out into the world is kind of a hollow avatar of me not completely hollow but slightly hollow Mm. in which i'm not fully there the aubrey hasn't fully stepped in and it's a it's a creation literally an avatar of aubrey that's doing the aubrey things that's making sure everybody's okay that's handling and it's not a bad thing, this avatar. It generally handles things in a good way, but it's not really me. It doesn't carry the medicine, the full medicine of my presence. Mm. It's not there. It's, it's hollow. 
hollow. And the archetype of the king is something that I was really working with in that. And so it became this understanding that when I'm doing that, it's like the hollow king or the pseudo king. And I was looking at the pseudo king and being like, well, it does a pretty good job. You know, like pseudo king, not so bad, really. You know, even most people don't notice, but it's just not doing nearly as good as it could be. And I'm not enjoying it nearly as much. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, so it's not that it's bad, but it's also not what it could be. It's not anywhere near the potential of like how I can show up in my magic and all of the real magic that I experience. Podcast, like I podcast not as the pseudo king, but I'm there, I'm here. Like I'm here and I think that's what makes it special. And those are what all of these experiences make it special is that I'm fully there. So is this dichotomy between the pseudo king, which is a bit hollow, still good, and the true king, which is me fully embodied and present. But as I was slightly getting a bit enamored with the pseudo king saying, yeah, actually it did a really, it's doing a really good job. I saw this cockroach come and this big cockroach comes into my vision as I was thinking about the pseudo king and it shits right on my head. <laughs> like <laughs> it just comes over and it shits right on my head. Nothing like a giant cockroach turd yeah, just to bring just, you back in. <laughs> and, and it was such a clear message. It was like, oh yeah, pseudo king, great. You know where it stands in the order of things? It stands underneath cockroach shit. Like there's a cockroach and then there's a cockroach's shit and then there's the pseudo king. So, <laughs> so just remember where it actually stands in the order of the cosmos. It's beneath the shit of a cockroach. Got it. <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay. Yep. Get it. You know, it's fine and all, but it's still beneath the shit of a cockroach. As far as has as a far, place. It has this a place. Is the place. Yeah, yeah. This is the place. This is where it is in the strata of things. And so, you know, I really started to like play with an understanding of of like how the true king acts. And how the true king always acts for the good, para el bien de todos, for the good of all. It stands for that no matter what, beyond its fear, beyond its doubt, beyond anything else. It stands for that. And if I don't, in any, in any way, if I don't, and if I play strategic, and if I you know, make a compromise that I shouldn't make, then I'm forfeiting the crown of the true king. I cannot be the true king and not stand as the true king. Otherwise, I'm some avatar of a king, some pseudo-king that's trying to navigate and strategize its way through. And it was just an understanding of like, okay, it doesn't matter what happens with the pseudo-king, if it does good or bad or whatever, it's, I'm forfeiting, I'm forfeiting my true crown, my true, like my true power and my true nature anytime I'm not impeccable with like what I do and what I stand for. It creates almost like a veneer. Exactly. That's not quite the full thing, mm -hmm. but it presents itself and it can look from the outside like it's the full thing. And yet simultaneously, it doesn't pack half as much of a punch. Yeah. No, not even close. Mm -hmm. Not even close. And uh, there was another really powerful thing that I've gotten in, uh, in the teachings of, you know, the, the lineage of Solomon through the Kabbalah. And in that lineage... A person doesn't confess their sin. In Catholicism, of course, you confess your sins. But in the lineage, you confess your greatness. 
you confess your greatness to God because it's your greatness that holds you accountable. Like you confess your greatness and then you're held accountable because then you are someone great and someone great has a lot to live up to. Mm -hmm. It's not about judging. It's just like, I confess my greatness. So that's what actually holds you accountable where you confess your sins. I'm a despicable worm. Well, what do you expect from a despicable worm? (laughs) Nothing. Nothing. Maybe some cockroach shit. <laughs> yeah, nothing. A despicable worm can despicably worm. It's of course it will. Of course. What else is it going to do? So it doesn't hold you accountable at all. It's not about absolution. It's about like accountability mm. to your highest self, mm. and that's a confession of greatness. So mm. in this, there was a confession, and not an inflation, not like an inflation. It has to be true. Like confess your true greatness, and confess that, and that's what will actually holds you accountable so it's like a beautiful reversal of this idea of confession and so in this in this moment with the true king it was really like a confession of my own greatness like no no i am the true king i am a true king not the but i am a i am a true king and and in that confession there was a different accountability that started to that started to weave in and uh and that was also like a poignant experience that I'll that I am bringing into my life mm-hmm. like okay all right now I know now I know what that that thing is and I know what the other thing is all good but I know what it is and how do you see yourself bringing that into your life it's a process of continual reminders it's like how does a child learn to speak how does a child learn to speak repetition mm-hmm. repetition 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 practice you know you continue to talk you continue to have and in that case you have your own guides teaching you that language you mimic that language but it's this it's like having the archetype of the true king and having the reflection of like okay this is i'm learning let me step back from the pseudo king let me bring the fullness of myself from into the moment so that i can stand as the true king oh am i a little afraid am i flinching here let me step in and let me claim that let me claim that that kinghood and it's it's it is it's a constant reminder and it's not like you get it and it's like i got it download complete you know it's like it's this it's a practice so how the the interesting question is you talk about these devotionals practices that you have which are very powerful what i haven't done is turned it from so also again in the lineage there's two aspects there's a torah which is like the wisdom, the wisdom, the Torah was actually written. It was the wisdom, it was the logos, it was the words, it was the ideas. Okay, I got that. But then there's the mitzvah, which is the ritual, the practice, Mm. the thing that you do to strengthen that wisdom. So it's a combination of both. You have to have the Torah to then guide the mitzvah, Mm -hmm. the practice that helps reify that same thing and help bring it in. And so I think now in the integration process, a big, a big ask is, okay, how do I take this and turn it into a practice where maybe it's a mantra, maybe it's an affirmation, maybe it's a way that I do breath when I'm, or maybe it's, I, I'd link it to my hape ritual or maybe, but bringing these things in so that I'm constantly reminded and practicing Torah and mitzvah, like that's the, that's the way forward. Mm-hmm. 
And then do you feel like based off of the insights that you received in your own unique experience, you feel confident that you can cultivate a ritual or a practice or a devotional um, a, uh, task or representation that honors that integration process? You feel confident in being able to create that yourself? I do. I need to, I need to do it. Mm-hmm. And if I need support, you know, like certainly like I'll reach out to you and Vi and, and all of the you know the great allies and helpers who have these different devotional practices but um i feel like i'll be able to navigate to it Mm. and figure it out Mm -hmm. and and the thing about me is i've i'm kind of like a wild rebellious i have a wild rebellious (laughs) sacred rebel (laughs) yeah and it's like i i kind of push against some of the things that are too structured because i'm ultimately a, a pattern interrupter that's a part of my nature I'm a pattern interrupter and I and I and I like to be fluid. I'm very watery. I like to be fluid and flow and feel and I, and certainly the balance that I want to cultivate in my life is structure and freedom to flow. Mm-hmm. And I think bringing in more structure is really important. You know, own the day, the book that I wrote was great because it offered that structure for myself and everybody who read it, a structure of things to do throughout the day and you know, I do a lot of those practices, but most of them are focused on my physical well-being and my strength and vitality. And on the day was more about the body, a bit about the mind, but not really about the spiritual actualization. Mm. That'll be in other books that Got I to. end up writing. Yeah, <laughs> book two. So yeah, that's that's like a key thing. It's like, all right, what are the what are the daily things that I can do to remind myself, and and then the awareness to help catch what's what's been missed joe dispenza talks about he does a nightly recapitulation of the day where did i fall from grace where did i shine you know he does that every night every night he does that so it just helps him you know recapitulate all of these different moments and that that leads to this consistent progress and this is the nature of integration the nature of integration is not just sharing your wisdom the nature of integration is sharing it and applying it applying it to your life and something that's concrete taking it from the ether and bringing it right back down to hard earth mm-hmm. of like this is real now and this is essentially the very piece that feeds the concept of being the medicine you know like it gets to a certain point in my experience where um not needing to sit with the medicine uh, any medicines really at much length or like much um frequency purely because the amount of insights that have been cultivated once becoming knowledge, where I believe that knowledge that that kind of just is, is just presented like the insights of the downloads of a ceremony, it's still knowledge, it's not been integrated yet. It becomes wisdom when it drops from knowledge into the body through consistency, through it being integrated into the mundane moments from the moment that we wake up in the morning for the first 20 minutes of what we do for our day. This is actually where that knowledge can become wisdom if you so choose it. And so without integration, these ceremonies really, what's the point? Yeah. Do you want to be the medicine that where Aubrey Marcus comes and sits in a room and all of a sudden I feel more empowered just by being in your presence because you are the essence and the embodiment of the knowledge you were presented with all of your ceremonies and you actually integrated it as wisdom and now that you just exude it and you haven't even said a word and yet I feel more empowered in your presence. That is what it means to be the medicine and yet that is up to you and your choice of what you do outside of the ceremony. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I thought about in this, you know, as I felt, I felt like, man, 
so far in this trip, I was real tired and the pseudo king was operating for the first half of this trip in a lot of ways. And I had moments where, you know, where I really stepped forward, of course, you know, in different conversations and different, but I felt like, oh man, I just want to, in the sharing circle, I just want to apologize to everybody. And then I was like, no, 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 that's, that's a, that's judgment. You know, like, sure, apologize if necessary, but I have nothing to apologize for. I was doing my best in this idea, like, you'll never do it right but you can't do it wrong. You know, like you'll never do it right. There'll always be a way from a greater heart presence mm. that you could have done it better. Mm. And that's okay. You'll never do it right. But you're not doing it wrong. Mm. There's nothing to apologize for. It's just life. It's just you living. And so I started to see how, and if you want to, and I started to play with like kind of the biblical dichotomy of the devil and God, right? Like the devil is all of these judgments and distractions and ways in which the mind can spin things into superiority or or abnegation and, and all of these different ways that our own mind is playing out both roles mm-hmm. in an interesting way. And I started to like really think about the kind of mythos of the devil and how everything has been interestingly inverted up and down and names and all of this and and this became like an interesting thread that i started to unpack and i actually ended up writing a poem as i was exploring this and it came from this you know so we finished the ceremony and we were you know i'm feeling really good and we go out and we go out to our balcony and the dawn comes that mm. morning and the dawn was glorious every bird was squealing and squeaking in the ecstasy and delight of a new dawn a beautiful orange sky and the monkeys were howling and like everything was alive and moist and glowing and it was unbelievable and i look up in the sky and i see the morning star Mm. shining through the dawn sky and the Mm. morning star and i think wait wasn't the morning star another name for the devil i was like that's weird what is the morning star so i googled it well the morning star is venus venus is the goddess of love and i was like whoa there's been some interesting upside-downing distortion, which would be actually an act of, quote, the devil. And I'm not into the literal theology of all of this. These are all metaphors. But interesting how things were pointed different ways. And up was supposed to be to heaven. Up is where the brain monster is living and creating distortion. Down is the earth, is your feet on the soil. Mm. It's something different. So I wrote a little poem. I shared the poem with everybody in the sharing circle, but I'll share it here. Yay. The devil hides in plain sight. A beast with horns is too easy to find. We'd shoot it, kill it, skin it, mount it, and tell our friends how we did it. The devil hides in plain sight. You'll find him everywhere there is a mirror. Self-judgment, comparison, derision. The voice that says you're a piece of shit, unworthy of love. Hmm. The devil hides in plain sight. His temptations are not sensual, they are egotistical. Righteous, disingenuous, entitled. How dare you do that to me? The devil hides in plain sight. 
But his favorite place was the church, where sex was a sin, witches got burnt, and all fearfully obedient servants would be rewarded when they died, of course. The devil hides in plain sight, not in the shadows, but in the light. Every bad name, finite game, act of war, ungrieved horror, petty drama, and unhealed trauma. The devil hides in plain sight. Everywhere they tell you to look for him is the opposite. They called him Morning Star, which is the planet Venus, Celestial Eros, Cupid's Arrows. The two cherubs locked in sexually intertwisted divine embrace on the top of the Ark of the Covenant. They tell you the devil is down where your feet touch the earth, connected to life and every new birth. And up is God in the clouds of confusion, questioning, plotting, scheming, delusion. They called him a goat when all Billy ever did was deliver milk to thirsty mouths, meat to hungry bellies, and leather for chilly bones. They tell us when we see him to fight, to banish him, curse him with all our might. The devil hides in plain sight. (laughs) Well, that's something to chew on. (laughs) Yeah. One line comes to you and then this whole... Yeah, yeah. That's that's how it happened. It was was the devil hides in plain sight. A beast with horns is too easy to find. Mm. And like that came to me in the the ceremony and I was like, I knew that I had the thread thread, and all I had to do was just pull it. Mm-hmm. and keep pulling it and it would come through mm-hmm. and uh that happened you know last time i wrote a two poems about ayahuasca and uh and about just like, released one of them, right? yeah mm-hmm. yeah one of them just came out um but yeah so that was like this beautiful dance of recalibrating to the truth of of light and distortion mm-hmm. and and even so like that last bit like the idea that you fight that thing is the fighting itself is participating in the game board upon which conflict is waged and it's like that's not the way either right like that whole idea is actually just strengthening the idea of the devil in any ways and yes doesn't mean you invite him into your into yourself and invite this distortion in but there's a different way mm-hmm. you know there's a different way and i've found this in every one of my journeys there's a different way and that's the sacred rebel in you and that's the purpose of that sacred rebel in you and that pattern interrupt energy that you bring to the table which right. can be questioned and judged and simultaneously has a very very important purpose to recognize outdated patterns that are ready to be transmuted and it takes somebody willingness willing to do something a little bit different to actually create a new way where suffering is is, is transmuted yeah yeah that's that's it. And and that's, I think, it's a part of my nature. It's yeah, to challenge thank you. and question. <laughs> takes a lot of courage. Yeah, I appreciate and that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and it's not always going to be right. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's also some some traditions and wisdoms and, and ideas are like, instead of trying to change, be humble, mm-hmm. seek to understand. And when they're, when they're in alignment, that's why when I've been studying the wisdom of Solomon and the lineage, so much of it resonates so deeply it's like it actually is a little bit weird for me because I'm used to getting ideas and then saying like, aha, here's how I break this one and make it better. And so much of the time I've been listening going like, damn, 
that really hits the spot. <laughs> it's like, well, what am I going to do here? <laughs> you know, like it's, uh, but it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And then applying it is where the disruptions come. But, you know, I think it's just that, that balance of having the discernment and not any impulse to do anything, not an impulse to be, you know, contrarian. That's also a slippery trap. Like where you define yourself as a contrarian, you define yourself as different than others. So it's just another game that the ego plays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's like, all right, let's just sift through all of this and mm-hmm. keep that which feels really resonant and real and then push to see if we can reimagine those things that are outdated that need to be updated. And it, again, it's a deep part of the of the lineage where they teach that when you are accessing your own face of the divine when you ontically are identical with the divine where the divine is you not effacing you like there's this idea that you know god comes in and takes you over and it's just god no you as you access your divinity which is all divinity but it speaks through you as you it like it collapses the separation between you and the divine which all of us have the ability to do. And when you're in that space, your logos, your Torah, what you have access to supersedes anything that has been written before because it's alive. It's alive and circumstantial to this moment. And it takes precedent over anything that was written earlier in the past. But you have to be sure, have to be sure that it's not your ego masquerading as the divinity it's not your own petty desires your lusts your greeds your comparisons your jealousies saying like i can supersede any of this thing i can become anomian or antinomian either lawless or a transgressor of law because i am in in divinely embodied like maybe maybe be be fucking careful because it's slippery but like this is the difference between what they call like the judah consciousness who was like that the mystic the mystic that turns over the tables you know or the joseph consciousness which is follow the law follow the law follow the rules follow the law and the idea is in in the in the wisdom is that we should all strive to become to have access to the judah consciousness whereas we actually have the ability to see the law perfectly in our own way because we've merged with our own divine nature as our unique self and so it's a it's this radically it's a radical democratization of enlightenment or democratization of law in an interesting way now it doesn't mean that you get rid of all laws but it means that the word the torah the the logos is living and it lives through all of us always and there's always an opportunity to reflect on that different thing so my nature i see it just embodied in that judah david solomon archetype you know where and doesn't mean that i don't also have some of the joseph archetype in me as well there's rules when you're running a company of 200 employees like there's a lot of joseph in there (laughs) Mm -hmm. a lot you know like there's rules for a reason you know like they're important to follow and also it's exhausting to be constantly checking and tapping into your higher wisdom to make sure that you're actually speaking from your divine authority like you have to be really sure so a lot of time we are going to be operating in in joseph consciousness structure Mm. in that way but then the ability to tap into the mystic consciousness of judah or david and and that's like 
it's kind of like a a guiding light for my path but of course again i'll say it again maximum discretion and this is also bearer clarifying your desires clarifying where your ego desires and where your true self desires clarifying all that so that actually you know that you're speaking from your highest authority mm-hmm. i find that the breath just before speaking the the scanning of the body of where the the, the feeling is yeah. coming from the intention and then those that have learned to listen can discern the frequency of where that message is being is coming from which will then build a charge whether respect or actually discernment to step further away from is then created and that's the ripple and the effect that we make in the world is many small things said from a place of heart because of the discernment of being able to listen prior to speaking yeah that's it and and like for those of us who've touched it like we can tell yeah. like we know when we're in there and it's a special thing you don't have to say much i remember on my 41st birthday we both stepped into that space and you know there was a little medicine floating around that night and some alcohol and some different things but for my at midnight we stepped into a medicine space everybody was in such beautiful resonance and i remember for a while there all i was saying and i forget where it came in the conversation i was saying yes yes but i wasn't saying it just as aubrey saying yes i was saying it with the entire authority of my unique self connected to the divine as aubrey so it was me as as my highest potential that was saying it and yes is a very simple word but it but it carried all of the all of the charge and all of the power of it even in my darkness documentary there's a moment where i captured on on a recorder where i was saying good and in that was like encoded like a deep a deep truth and so sometimes the words are clever or sometimes the words are insightful but they can just be the frequency of that thing and once you feel it then you can have like a little bit of a guide to know like oh this is it and in some of the facilitation work that i've done like i've been able to tap into that a lot more frequently and it's fucking special mm-hmm. and you can really tell the difference mm-hmm. and it's not that i have access to that all the time you know mm-hmm. but when it comes through and I, and I feel that from you many many times like many times where you're just right in the current and it is it does come from the deepest listening and and kind of the letting go of all of the many small voices that are competing to kind of be heard and unifying them into the singular voice that harmonizes all of the small voices. I find like in a space of people when everybody's talking all at once and there's so many different voices all being contributed to the pot, actually to just rest knowing that the presence is enough without needing to say anything and to soften into the listening. And then once the recalibration of everybody in the space of understanding where everyone's coming from, then to recognize what's the medicine of the moment and then only speak when it improves the silence. You can say one thing throughout the whole one hour meeting, but that was the one thing that changed the pivotal point of the whole conversation. And that's the one thing that people remember because of where it came from. So recognizing the power of our word and the vibrational charge that sits behind it and the responsibility that comes with that and recognizing in every single moment we are spellcasting and stories off of creation to create more of it. So if we're not being in responsibility of 
where our, st- our frequency is coming from. We are just calling in more things to reflect the unworthiness in which we feel because it's the very charge that was the reason why we spoke in the first place, just wanting a place at the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. And and then one thing that came through for Vailana is like to trust yourself, you have to be completely willing to be wrong. Otherwise, if you have a desire to be right, there's going to be a big shadow that's created. That's not been addressed. There's going to be shame. Mm-hmm. There's going to be shame around being wrong. So you're going to stick to something you said and not be completely open to being wrong. So, so many times we're in Joseph and sometimes Joseph masquerades as Judah. You know, like you're just following some, some structure or some conditioning that comes from the collective or or whatever is happening it's it's your ego masquerading as this thing and then that can happen all the time and then but if you listen to your own judah or listen to another judah that comes you have to be willing to go oh okay great like great amazing mm-hmm. you know or it could come joseph joseph and joseph it could be like this is what this joseph says this is the best way to do it and somebody goes no i think this is the best way to do it oh yeah that's a better way to do it. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. It's you not know. about who it's coming through. It's right. about that the medicine has been delivered into the space. Right. And that's what it truly means, I believe, to to operate in a cohesive group dynamics is what is the actual goal here, not is about who is the one that's doing it. Mm-hmm. Can we let it come through this person today and maybe it comes through this person tomorrow? Yeah. But it's not about me. The second it becomes about me is the second that the head because the energy has no outlet and yeah. no re- receptivity and the reciprocity of being actually an instrument, but not the one that's playing like the, the actual music. Right. And they, they, the head getting big is when it thinks that it's about itself and then it just goes, then it builds up in here sure. and then it stops the flow. And so can we actually release our own individual identity for the greatest good of the healing of the space? And if it comes through the cat in the moment, then it's coming through the cat right now. Yeah. And then it, it will shift and move and change and evolve. And that's when we can actually just live to blow our own minds because recognizing that we are a conduit for something so much greater than ourselves that is the same thing that created this planet which is an intelligence that has no name and is so vast and so profound and so beyond what we can even fathom in this moment and yet completely be humbled by the majesty of what it means to be alive yeah and to know that okay the guru-ness the judah-ness is not that you reach it and you you're there forever Mm-mm. it's a process where you're there and you're not there so like and so anytime someone places that and and makes that your identity you are guru you are judah well like which would be saying like you are the aubrey the sacred unique self of aubrey completely in perfect clarity having perfect bearer clarification of desire and speaking as the divine through you well sometimes like, like maybe now i am you know i'd be like maybe not you know like like i don't know so, so it gets really slippery when you attach that to your identity it's a it's a place that we can all arrive to mm-hmm. you know it's a moment that we can get to and that moment can extend for periods and it can wax and wane like the like the moon mm-hmm. you know and it's just mm-hmm. being willing to be like yeah it's a place we all touch we'll all we'll all be there and when we're there we're there and when Mm -hmm. someone else is there they're there Mm -hmm. great Mm -hmm. and when we're not there it's more obvious where we have been there sure Sure, we're really not there right now i'm just gonna dip it (laughs) yeah we have the contrast but it breaks down the 
like you think of you know i and, and i'll get into this for my next journey because the the archetype of of arthur and camelot like you think of the round table and that was an absolute judah move to be a king of that time and have a round table which is the symbol that everybody has an equal voice right that arthur is the king however anybody at that round table can wear the crown and come with that idea mm. you know and that's a true king yeah. like the true king is like i'm arthur and i do this because i said so you fucked up <laughs> you fucked up if yeah. you're there you know what i mean <laughs> it's like all right let's see who's the arthur today you know who's who's in there arthur who's in there who's in there judah mm-hmm. you know and, and you listen and you listen and you feel and and you guide that and it's again the democratization of leadership mm-hmm. it's like okay like i'm happy to be the leader for as long as i'm leading in the best way the moment i'm not great and then i'll lead from behind the throne exactly and i in a you know in my own way i did that when i stepped down as ceo and let jason havey come in and step in the ceo role i was like no you're better at me you're better than me at this right now mm. and this is what leads the company better than me so people are like was that hard i was like no wasn't hard mm-hmm. it was like obvious like you were you were better <laughs> like do it like like blessings mm-hmm. and like the ability to do that is is also like really really vital because there'll come times where i'm you know i'm just suffering and i'm in my own shit and discomfort and and that's when you reach out you know i had that experience the next day and i'll go into my next day's journey which was very hard in a different way um but in that journey there was a point where i reached over to my brother you know to my left and i just tapped him and i just reached out and just grabbed his hand i was like i was i was in a in a tough spot and and he had the strength then and i just knew like okay like even when i'm weak and i'm down and i can't make sense i was lost and confused and and hurting and it was difficult it was like okay if i fall like you got this you got this and with that i could like find my own peace my peace to be broken my acceptance of it's okay it's okay arthur <laughs> like there's another arthur you know and that that is so that's why community is so important you know and having like those brothers and those sisters that you can just reach out to and say like i'm i'm weak now i'm i'm sick now i'm broken now like hold the strength for now so the place that got me there was the third night <laughs> and uh and we were with my brother dr dan and he asked me he says maestro Orlando ceremonies is the third ceremony is it kind of like a integration thing or is it kind of like a rocket ship and i was like well it's usually more of a rocket ship but you never know <laughs> you know like the first time i sat with orlando it was actually kind of like a integration third ceremony last time certainly wasn't it was a fucking rocket ship so i don't know dan but i would bet rocket ship <laughs> that's on the table uh, yeah rock a shit yeah if i was a betting man if i was going to my betting app 
I'd bet rocket ship. And uh, <laughs> so Orlando, he pours me of the thicky, the thicky, sticky ayahuasca brew, and he fills it to the brim, double what I got the second night. And, and I was like, oh, man. It's like, oh, this is going to be intense. But again, started with the self-soothing, the love, and all of that as like the foundation. And I was taken to this beautiful vision. And in this vision, there was all of these insect beings. And these insect beings, it was a beautiful world. It was like a gorgeous, gorgeous world where all of these insect beings were flying when there's flowers and these interesting things in this black void substrate. There was like a substrate of black. And there was this giant orb in the middle and like glowing light. And this giant orb that was glowing light was just impossibly beautiful and complex and enigmatic. But it had a, it had a boundary to it. This orb had a boundary to it, a place where the light just dissipated. And it, and it no longer ceased. It ceased to exist. And the insect beings were part of a different substrate. And they were attracted to this light. They were attracted to this light. Just like bugs are attracted to the light, even if it's fire. They were attracted to it. And I was in this very interesting world. And then I, I was like, well, what is this orb? And the message came back, oh, the orb is God. Our God. Our nine-dimensional God of which we are a part of. And this is crazy because it breaks my cosmology. My cosmology is that everything is contained in the nine-dimensional God. And maybe that's accurate, and there's a lot of ways to interpret it, but all I can say is, this is what my vision showed me, is that the entirety of God, which is everything, as far as I know, there's actually a limit to that at some level, at some dimensional limit. Let's call it the ninth dimensional limit. And then there's a 10th dimension, which is the place where God exists. The 10th dimension is the substrate. It is, it is, a, is it another void. It's a separate void. Like God has its own void, the ninth dimension, which is its own void upon which all creation is then birthed from. But there's another void outside of that void in another dimensional reality. And it reminded me of the saying of the Tao, which is it's clearly like a deeply channeled mystical wisdom, the Tao Te Ching, Lao Tzu. And it says, what is the Tao? I don't know. It's something like, I don't know what the Tao is, but it's older than God. It's older than God. And like, that's a very confusing thing to say. The Tao is older than God. And I, can, I could kind of make sense of it. Oh, there's a substrate upon which gods are birthed and born and exist. And these insect beings were a part of it were able to navigate that substrate and were attracted to our god and so i'm seeing this and it's blowing my fucking mind because it's breaking it's a breaking the entirety of my cosmology like i was like what the fuck and what the message i got so then i investigated and i was again i mean the ayahuasca was so fucking strong at this point it was like i was so deeply in it yeah so I investigate the insect beings and the message was that they were an emanation of an older God, of another dimensionality. Call it, let's say the 10th is the substrate and then this is the, and this is the 11th, 11th dimensional God. 
twelfth, perhaps. I, I don't know. There's some people who say that there's a twelfth, and that's but that's coming from hearsay. All I knew was that there was another dimension, which is the substrate upon which the orb of God, the glowing pulsing orb, exists. And then there's the substrate, which is another dimension. And then there was another dimension upon which there was an older God that existed and was emanating these insect beings that were attracted to our God. And it's interesting because the boga, when I asked the boga about God many, many years ago, before I knew the nine-dimensional cosmology, like I feel like I know it now, it showed me, I was like, well, what is God? And it showed me this giant blue titan. And this blue titan was just gently running, kind of jogging in this rhythmic, jogging, blue God. And I was like, wow, God. And I understood that God was basically making one choice, and that was the choice to run, which was the choice to say yes to all creation. Hmm. And the movement was the yes. Otherwise, it was just stationary. It was just static. Mm -hmm. And the movement created all the differentiation and all all of the different levels. And then it showed me that there was hundreds of these gods and they were all running in this loop but they were distinct and different i was like many gods what but i haven't really been able to work that in my cosmology but it fits in this new cosmology that i have where there's potentially other orbs of other dimensional realities that exist in this substrate where there's god so it's almost like a multiverse of gods (laughs) and a substrate which contains and holds the multiverse so of course you could say, well, oh, okay, well you could fit it in to say, well, there is then one God of all the all the universes and all the multiverses. That's cool. I'm cool with that. You know, like obviously that makes sense. You could say that there's still only one God. It's all law of one, unicity. But in my in this model, it was a different thing, and it was that everything that we know of is God, including the void that we know is all contained in one God, and then there's another substrate and another God. So that was a very interesting and confusing thing. And then what I felt was, is that these insect beings had a different operating system, a different operating system. And in that operating system, they were in the hive mind mentality where ultimately they were not separate like we are separate, where we have choice and sovereignty and differentiation. It was like a hive, like the insect beings, where any one insect would sacrifice itself for the good of the tribe, good of the good of the hive. A bee will sting, knowing its own death, in ecstasy, in service of the hive. And we see this played out in all the different movies and all, even the understanding of actual insects, which mirror this hive mind mentality. And it's interesting that all of our stories, stories which are art, which potentially mimic life, is that we realize that there's something different and and not necessarily wrong but different about that mentality that's different than our god because our god stands for sovereignty stands for our ability to choose and our free will and the sacred name story of each of us and then there's this other this other thing which is no it's just a hive and all there is is a hive and then every in every bit of individuality is effaced it doesn't matter it's just one, and you yes, you are your own being, but you're just one participating and willing to die at any moment for the wholeness, you know, for the for the for the tribe, the hive. And in this space, I could feel the energy of this insect being feel like coming in the space. And there was lots of 
wild magical things that were happening in the ceremony that were creating this and won't go into all of those details of the ceremony but it was it placed me in this conflict because the hive mentality was seductive because it offered in the frequency that was available in the space it was seductive because it offered apotheosis it offered the ability to merge with god entirely but not merge like i was talking about this whole podcast where it's me aubrey aubrey as a unique face of the divine a unique face upon which without me the divine would be incomplete so i'm important i am important and i am god right but no this was there's just god that's that's it there's just god and it's yeah different different beings but the consciousness is one and when i've interacted with insect energies in the space in many ayahuasca journeys it's not that i talk like i talk to mosquitoes at one point it's not like i talk to each individual mosquito like hey this is harry the mosquito (laughs) and this is john the mosquito and fucking you know no it's i talk to mosquito (laughs) you know like i talk to cockroach i talk to fly you know i had an interesting thing with flies too in my second ceremony like there was a fly that came in my in my journey and i don't particularly like bugs <laughs> at <laughs> all i haven't <laughs> no i don't but i saw it in my journey and i recognized and appreciated that i've i've talked to fly energy and i know that they're here to clean they're here to clean that which is dead and they're and then feed themselves to the rest of life so i have an appreciation even though i'd have a inherent distaste but i invited the fly to come in to my body and i was like come into my mouth and like invited it to lay eggs in all of the dead parts and then the eggs turned to maggots and i could feel the maggots eating all of the dead just like you could clean a wound with maggots they used to do mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. and then the flies were laying eggs and, and laying all of these laying all of these things in my body and then ultimately they started to hatch and then all the flies came out of my mouth not anyway, actually obviously this no, is in, in your in vision cer- right? in my ceremony yeah this is in my, in my vision so i was in this space where i was like wow i don't know what to do here because there's my understanding of god but there's a super seductive invitation to apotheosis to get rid of my own sacred name and to merge with hive mind consciousness and i think we're enamored with this idea with singularity in general like enamored with singularity singularity well that's hive mind it's one mind instead of talking to each person you're talking to human mm-hmm. you know and that's that was available it was available in the space and i had to make a choice and it was very confusing because i've never felt something so seductive it was so seductive but it was felt so wrong to me like deeply wrong and I was like, I, I don't know, I don't know. And I was lost and I was sick and I was confused and the medicine was wildly disorienting. And, and it was hard. And then eventually I just decided like, no, like I stand, I stand for God. And I wrote that in my journal. I have a journal that I bring in and I scribble things. And I just wrote, I, I stand for God. I stand for our God, for sovereignty, for individuality for our own sacred name story and our ability to write our own unique story, Mm -hmm. not just one story, the one story of the hive, but my story. Mm. And everybody deserves the right to write their own story, Mm. like radical sovereignty. And it's like, I stand for that. And then ayahuasca was like, 
you must collect all of your sacred items. And I'd given away, you know, I'm a generous person. I'd given away some of my sacred items. I gave a sacred sword to my ex-partner, Whitney. I gave a, a special rock to my sister, Olivia. And I was like, you need them back. Like you need them back to write your true story, to write your story. Like you need, and I was like, I can't get them back. I'm in the middle of a fucking medicine. Like <laughs> they're gone. And it's like, I was like, oh, will I ever get them back? Whitney, about that sword. Uh, yeah. I'm in the middle of an ayahuasca ceremony, but it's really important. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, just trust, like have faith. You'll get them back. They're yours. But it felt like if like Thor gave away his hammer, because he was like, look, you know, like I really love you. I want you to be protected. Like, here's my hammer. And then Thor's like, fuck. I need <laughs> I'm gonna need that. Yeah, I need that back. <laughs> So ultimately, it's a happy ending. After the ceremony, I ended up calling Whitney and was like, hey, like, I know this is really special, but I need my sword back. And she's like, oh, man, I, just, like, I sleep with that under my bed every night. It's very special to me. And I was like, I know. Like, I'm sorry. Oh. Like, ayahuasca told me I need it back. <laughs> and she's like, if you, know, if you need it, you need it. And it was, oh. it was like, it was cool. But it was like preparing me to then stand. And I think, you know, you could literalize some of this and there's some justification for literalizing this but you could also make it a metaphor and in the metaphor i realized what i stood for by having an external threat which wasn't evil by any stretch wasn't bad it was just a different operating system Mm -hmm. and it made me say i stand for god and i put my sword in the ground and say this is what i stand for sovereignty individuality our ability to share our sacred name story and i stand for god and potentially this whole experience was to give me the feeling of like just like when new york was attacked everybody was a new yorker and everybody was an american i mean i know there's a lot of theories about what happened with 9-11 but the function of that was we're all one Mm -hmm. because it was attacked and like in this feeling of another consciousness of another god coming to infiltrate ours I had the felt sense of no, like I stand for God. And that moment was so powerful, you know, so powerful to say. And that meant that I stand for all of the darkness, all of the shadow, all of the, the devil, all of, all of, I stand for all of it because it's all part of our God. The ultimate collapse of the division and judgment of everything because saying you stand for God is not just I stand for Jesus. Of course, it's easy. Jesus is fucking awesome. <laughs> Did right. some cool shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's awesome. It's like easy, but no, that's just a part of God. Like, you know, in my, in my understanding, I know there's some religious people listening. No, Jesus is, I get it, I get it. There's lots of ways to cut the pie. But ultimately, in this <laughs> understanding, all the darkness, all the distortion, all the everything that's part of our God, even the individuation to say that there is a devil and there is Jesus, the individuation itself is what I stand for. Mm. The ability to be individual, not mm. just one, mm-hmm. but many. And, and that was like what I stood for. And it was like, okay, like I know what I stand for. I stand for that. And then within that, I stand for balance. I stand for truth. I stand for justice. I stand for beauty. But also I stand for the whole thing. And uh, it was just this really wild experience. One other little vignette of that was I actually encountered the being like an actual being of the devil which appeared a lot more like it usually appears dark shadowy you know red eyes horns the whole thing and i was just i was going through this whole thing and i just looked over at him and i literally i know it's a meme but i literally go not today 
Satan. <laughs> I was like, not today. Boundaries I, with Satan himself. Yeah, I just looked at I was just like, nope, not today. <laughs> like, I get it. There's definitely some work I could do. We could fucking have an interaction. You're, I mean, it's intense. And I've done that before. I was just like, nope, not today. <laughs> just not today. Not in my house, no, boy. <laughs> not, not today. Another time, maybe. But not today. And it was really funny to just claim that power of like, yeah, yeah. Like I'm working on a whole different thing here yeah. that includes you. Like I'm actually fighting for you. So just just not today. Yeah. I know that your sole job is to fuck me up. So not today, please. You know, like, and it wasn't please. It was like, it was a declaration. It's like, just not today. And, um, and yeah, so that was, you know, this powerful, this powerful reclamation of like, of who I am and what I stand for that includes all of it in a in a really beautiful way and man when i was so at the end of ceremony they you know orlando calls you up for a soplato like soplar where he blows smoke and cinnamon all over you i was so blasted like so out of my own bearings i had to be like carried and like walked carefully i was like trying to walk like weekend at bernie's and i like i'm going in and valco's used to me the the facilitator that helps bring people up used to me being very like clear and like knowing what's going on especially at the end of ceremony four and a half hours later i walked like three i walked like three beds past orlando and he had to grab me he's like no 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 here and like help me sit down and orlando's like moving my legs and i'm like dripping sweat and i'm like uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know and like had to like pick me up and like peel me off like i was a like a vertical pancake and, just, <laughs> like, and dripping with syrup and just lay me back down but uh yeah it was a it was a beautiful beautiful powerful encounter i can't help but think about people you know like shall i watch another episode of friends tonight (laughs) (laughs) and you're like over here just sort of like peeling back the layers of consciousness and activating all dimensions and having a genuine conversation with satan and setting some pretty solid boundaries (laughs) and and uh, you know like the the choices of what you can navigate in the human experience of like what experience you want to tune into and the path of mysticism that you have chosen and where you are and how you've created a space for other big game players to to come and experience these experiences and then for you to then cultivate like the turtle with with all of your life's experiences and these places that you go and then you pack them under your shell and then you come sit here in your home and share on the podcast so that so many others can go on this journey who wouldn't even probably want to do it in their own way but is ready to hear the magic that you've you've brought back and it's just such a gift to be able to witness uh your courage and your understanding and your lens and on life and then be able to receive gold for our own individual experience it from the comfort of our own home so thank you so much and thank you sister (laughs) thank you sister you do so much the same thing we ride at dawn (laughs) (laughs) second start of the ride on till sunrise let's go so I guess, you know, anybody listening that's feels, you know, what I, one thing that I don't potentially stress enough about ayahuasca is sometimes you can get enamored with the visions and these experiences that I've had, which are magnificent and instructive and valuable. But ayahuasca is work, trabajo, it's work, and it's work for healing. And you go there to heal. And all of these visions and all of these things are just a bonus. But like, know that if you go, like go with that work ethic of like i'm here to work Mm -hmm. i'm here to work and the gifts will come the visions will come most likely but either way like i'm here to do the work 
Mm-hmm. That's I'm gonna it. face off with that part of me that thinks I'm a piece of shit. Yeah, and of I'm course. And have a real sit down conversation. Uh, of course. And then ultimately, the work doesn't end when the ceremony ends nope. and the dawn comes, and we're like, oh yeah, hugs after ceremony. It's like, no, this is when the real ceremony starts. The ceremony yeah. of life. Yeah. Which is the realest, rawest, deepest, and also most beautiful ceremony that can exist is, the is best. life. It's yeah. the best. Mm-hmm. We're living in heaven. If we so choose it. If we so choose it. Mm-hmm. It's our choice. Heaven or hell. And our responsibility. That's right. That's right. And when we declare heaven, when we put our sword down and say, no, this is Camelot, mm-hmm. all are welcome here. Mm-hmm. All are welcome here then it becomes a reality. And then the more beautiful world is drawn, is drawn to this parallel world that we're in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, As within, so without. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Blue, what about closing this off with your own prayer mm. for those who are listening? Just whatever comes through. Mm. It's the final transmission. Mm. I'd love to. Thanks for asking. Of course. Alrighty, so anybody that's listening to this, if you're watching this, if you're listening to it through audio, the invitation for you, as long as you are not driving or operating heavy machinery, please (laughs) close your eyes. I'm just feeling into your body right now. As we open up our hearts to the infinite realm of magic, of all of the unseen things, of all of the places that we can go, whether in our mind or also physically on this earth that we have been given as our home. And can we just in this moment remember the majesty of what it means to even have your breath? And how profound it is that you have been given this life from all of the blood that has been shed by your ancestors for you to be able to breathe today. So whether you feel called to the medicine path of ayahuasca or you like to go into the realms of the darkness or if just sitting in your living room with a cup of tea is what brings you peace. Recognizing that the most important thing is that you can slow down enough to be able to listen to yourself and your own sovereignty. Your own truth beyond what you think people want you to be or what people want you to say and to have the courage to actually listen to the whispers of your own heart and recognizing that your heart is never going to lead you astray. So in this moment and in this breath, can we allow ourselves to receive the gift of being human and the gift of being alive that we may not know what the truth is, but we know what love feels like. And can we keep following that? And can we invite into our moment and into this breath the courage to say, I don't know. And from that place, open ourselves up to the infinite realm of the potential of being alive. Thank you for this life. Thank you for this breath. 
Thank you for our voice and for our song and for our dance. Thank you for the, all the benevolent life force on this planet, for all creatures big and small. To our blood family, our soul family, our community and to the world. To recognizing that our vibratory state is our contribution to the collective. So what are we doing with the mundane moments? And how are we allowing ourselves to find the magic in all of the sweet in-between? Just by being alive, you are enough. You are a gift. And you have a very unique purpose that nobody else can fulfill. And so it is up to us to remember what that is and to share it. Thank you for being alive during this very, very, very important pivotal time in the evolution of consciousness. You matter. You are important. And only you can access your truth. It's time to go all in. In the name of love. And so it is. And it is so. Oh. And so it is. Oh. Thank you, sister. <laughs> love you madly. It's such an honor to sit with you on this podcast and to have a, a brother that can meet me in these realms and spar with me through thoughts and to always return home in full, radical non-judgment mm. and to be able to share that with the world. I love you forever. <laughs> to the end. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We love you so much. See you next time. Thanks for tuning into this podcast with Blue. Once again, if you're interested in Arcadia, Blue will be speaking there. It's going to be such a powerful event. Go to fitforservice.com slash Arcadia with a K. I can't wait to see you there. Much love, everybody.